get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. deep and around to the left and this one coming back to Stone Garrett and the Nets have their second shutout of the year Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. A rough one yesterday in Washington, D.C. as the Cardinals end up losing that one in a game that I'm just going to go ahead and say, guys, it didn't count. Didn't count. <laughs> oh, is that where we're at? Man, you are officially Spring back on training. board. That was a fake baseball game played in fake conditions. Good God, man. In a city where that game shouldn't have been played yesterday. Checks notes. Washington played in the rain, too. You are, they did, you but they didn't have this. the same conditions oh, when they were pitching in that one oh, inning where everything God. really went awry. It was hey. Andre Pallante on the mound. It, and we should have all known how that was going to go. You saw Brendan Donovan had no chance of being able to make that transition. Like, it's... It was a fake game played under fake conditions, so I'm going to protest that one. We'll see what the Major League hey, Baseball uh, decision their, is. How'd their offense do in that, in that non-rain? Again, didn't count. Didn't count yesterday, so I'm going to pretend like it was fake. All right, we're all good with that. Man, None well, of if us that's are. the case, this Cardinals team's in first place in Major League Baseball. No, Because all the games game. have been fake. No, I'm, just, I'm not okay with it, but let's move on. Well, what about the time where it was really windy in the Cardinals' They're struggled? 31 and 43 in my eyes. <laughs> They're what? 31 and 43. Only 12 games uh-huh. under 500. Yeah. They're a good team. Yeah. We're, we're in a better place than what it appears to be in the standings right now. Again, we'll, we'll make that up. You're not in a better we'll place where I thought we were going to. So Nolan Gorman is who I want to focus on here today because yesterday was not a good day for him. And really, it's been, you know, a bad almost month now for Nolan Gorman. He is eight for his last 78 he has 34 strikeouts in that stretch. This is going back to May 26th. He has the worst OPS in all of Major League Baseball among the 226 players, Alex, with at least 60 plate appearances in that stretch. Basically, again, going back almost a month now. We have seen the best of Nolan Gorman at that point in time. He had an OPS nearing 1,000. Looked like he was on his way to a legitimate all-star game appearance. And now we are seeing the worst of Nolan Gorman. Alex, it'd be one thing if he was alone in this regard. But I feel like we've seen this with the entire Cardinals team in 2023. We saw Nolan Arenado go through an extended slump this year. We are seeing Wilson Contreras get off to his worst start of his major league career. We saw Jordan Hicks get to a place where it felt like he was going to get DFA'd. Looked like one of the worst relievers in baseball and now appears to be one of the best again in Major League Baseball. I guess my question is this. Why does it feel as if the Cardinals are so prone to these extended slumps? It's not just a week here or there. It's a month where they have guys that look like they've never played the game before. And then finally they break through, which is great. But why does it take so long to get to that place in your mind? I think we all know the answer. Let's all say it at the same time. Three, two, one. Bad conditions. Coach. What did you say? Bad conditions? Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so I thought mine was absurd. Weather and the I schedule. I'm Come not going to lie. I, I didn't even know what to guess. I thought mine was absurd, but then BK stepped in. Now, I, I don't know what this is, but this is a massive issue for the Cardinals because if you see other teams, the teams that continuously have success, the Braves, the Dodgers, going to the East, whether it's the, um, the Yankees, teams that always seem to be at the top, even if they lose one of their best bats, one, it's a short sample. It's probably like a week, maybe two weeks. And two, losing him still means that they're at least hitting a little bit below average. Losing a Cardinals player, at least the last couple of seasons, has been you lose them for at least a month and they aren't hitting below average. They're hitting as one of the worst batters in Major League Baseball. And go through the list. You mentioned it. Nolan Arenado for the longest stretch of time. Talked about sitting him. Wilson Contreras lost his job, hit well, comes back, hasn't been hitting. Then you go to Nolan Gorman, who's been struggling, and then go through the list. Every outfielder has gone through this. Paul DeYoung went through it. Goldschmidt had about a week. That's the difference. What Paul Goldschmidt has been is the polar opposite of everybody else on this Cardinals team because when Paul Goldschmidt goes cold, it's about a week, and it's eh, not goldy, but he's still good. But when Arenado and Contreras and all these other guys go cold, it's holy bleep, where did they go? And that's the issue for the Cardinals. Yeah, everybody's going to go through stretches where it's like two weeks you're cold and then you're kind of back to being an okay baseball player and then you get really hot for a stretch. But this feels like just abnormal for the Cardinals where everybody goes through these stretches. And I I think for Gorman, I I still think for Gorman it's kind of a youth thing. It's, hey, it's just his second big league year. I don't even know if he has a full technical year of service in Major League Baseball. So I can see where Gorman is maybe just continuing to learn and adjust to the game of baseball. But Contreras isn't. It's not a youth thing. Nolan Arnau's early season long struggle is not a youth thing. I think what those guys' struggles is, and I, I think it's true for some of the pitching guys that have had long stretches of struggle too, is the pressure mounting on this team from their slow start in April of starting to press. I mean, we talk about it a lot. When you look at this team, yes, the division keeps them in it, but there's still, what, 13 games below 500? Like, as time runs down here before we get to the deadline, they know they're going to have to start playing better baseball to get in get out of sell mode. So I think some of these struggles that happened early in the year and for guys like Wills Contreras, who looks like he's breaking out of his, yep. I, I think it is more of the pressure that is mounting playing just tense baseball otherwise i think if they were a team that's at 500 or above 500 i think it's like the typical two-week stretch they go cold and then they figure it out and they get back on track i think there's some truth to that i just think they also have some guys that are prone to this stuff like nolan arenado is a streaky hitter when he is on he looks like one of the best hitters in the sport and when he is off there is some kind of a timing mechanism or a swing change or whatever it is that tends to take a while and then it clicks and then woof, looks like he's going to carry your offense for the next month. And that's kind of who he's been. That's that's just the way that he operates. And that can be super frustrating at times. But man, when you look at the back of the baseball card, it typically ends up where he's going to hit 35 home runs and 100 RBIs and you're going to feel good about it. Here's the problem. I think Nolan Gorman and I don't know if this is a problem or not. I guess it's up to Cardinals fans to decide that. When you look at the way that Nolan Gorman wins, the profile of hitter that he is, I think he's going to be that, but like to the nth degree. I think Nolan Gorman is Kyle Schwarber. I think that's what he's going to be. And there's nothing wrong with being Kyle Schwarber. I think a lot of Cardinals fans have been looking at Kyle Schwarber over the last few years and been saying to themselves, I want that guy on my team. How do I get that pop in the middle of our order? But what you got to keep in mind is Kyle Schwarber goes through these really extended slumps where he looks like one of the worst hitters in baseball. This year, I'm not even going back. This is an ancient history. May 2nd to May 27th, 
Kyle Schwarber was eight for 75 with 30 strikeouts. He now has an OPS of better than 900 since May 27th. So in this stretch where Nolan Gorman has gone cold, Kyle Schwarber was on fire. In the stretch where Nolan Gorman was on fire, Kyle Schwarber looked like one of the worst hitters in the sport, couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag. That's who you have. That's what you signed up for with Nolan Gorman. Now, Alex, what I think is important to keep in mind here is that means he's not Jordan Walker. That means he's not Paul Goldschmidt. That does not mean he's bad. There is a gray area in between where you can just have a really good hitter that is a pure power hitter. And that's what the Cardinals have developed in Nolan Gorman. I don't think he's going to be a 300 hitter. I don't think he's going to be a 260 hitter, honestly. I think he's going to be in that 230 to 250 range on a year-to-year basis. And then it comes down to Cardinals fans on, are you okay with that? Because I've been hearing all you guys want is Adolis Garcia. You guys wanted Cody Bellinger. You guys wanted these guys, Kyle Schwarber, that are pure power hitters that have a low average. Well, you got one now. This is what it looks like. And it's super frustrating at times. But when you look at the end of the season and he's got 35 home runs and he mashed 80 RBIs, I think we're all going to be okay with it. Do you think Cardinals fans are going to be okay with that? I think so, because Cardinals fans love power. And if that's who he is... Here's the catch. You got to be consistent with it. But he's not going to be. But what because I mean, that's not how power works. I, it I slumps. I don't mean consistent all season. I mean consistent at the end of every season. Like Tyler O'Neill was supposed supposed to be that. And Tyler O'Neill has not been consistent in terms of his stat line every season. Who was the last guy that was this for the Cardinals? Like the pure, pure power. Because like Oof. Brandon Moss was kind of that, but, yeah, but he, he was at the consistent. end of his career. And it yeah. wasn't year to year. You didn't have a young guy that had this kind of yeah. power potential. That's a really good question because I don't know. When was the last time the Cardinals had a player that profiled this way? Is it Grichik? Probably. Grichik? That's probably the closest thing to what we're seeing here. And Cardinals fans did not like Randall Grichik. But was he consistent? Oh, we want to bring him back. Uh, yeah, well, exactly. not we. You uh, want to bring him back. But was he consistent stat line every yeah. season? Yeah. yeah. You know you're yeah. getting well, And then that's going to be the problem. But I guess it comes down to consistent on the power every season. Because what Kyle Schwarber is, is you know you're going to deal with those strikeouts. But you also know that at the end of every season, you're talking 30 to 35 home runs. And if Nolan Gorman's that... I'm, I'll speak for myself, a Cardinals fan. I'm fine with it because I like the 30 to 35 home runs in the but lineup. Here's the downside of it. The downside is what you saw yesterday where he's going to strike out with guys on and you have less than two outs. But that, he's not, he is not going to be the situational hitter that Cardinals fans that love watching. leads me to my it's next not gonna happen. point. Then you're not relying on him being your third accent piece. You're not, I'm sorry, you're not, you're not leaning on him to be the, the pillar for your team moving forward. Somebody else is going to have to take that over, whether it's Wilson Contreras or Jordan Walker. Nolan Gorman is now officially an accent piece. And that's not a bad thing because you need accent pieces. But the problem is when you look at him differently and say, now he's supposed to be one of my guys that I rely upon. It's not going to be it. It's like Tyler O'Neill. You're not relying on him every season. But what you know is at the end of the season, he's going to provide you 30 to 35 home runs in whatever capacity that is. Somebody else is going to have to take over the role that we thought Nolan Gorman was going to take. That's what I was going to say was I I think you can learn to love it as long as it's not like, hey, this guy's always going to be hitting fourth for us in our lineup. If you say every year Nolan Gorman is going to hit fourth for us in the lineup, there are going to be people that go, wait a minute. Like, yes, the highs are great, but the lows are too low to have them hitting there. Like, yesterday, what do you hit? Seventh in the lineup? Sixth? Like, Six, yeah. if that's the case, you've got four other kind of 
access piece or four other key pieces that hit in front of him, yeah, you can live with the highs and lows of Nolan Gorman. So I think with Walker, Contreras, Arnado, Goldie as the core four moving forward, I, I think you can live with what Nolan Gorman is going to do, or he's going to have these really hot spells. He's going to have these really cold spells. But if you are asking Nolan Gorman to be like the third impact bat behind Goldie and Arnado, then I think it's a different conversation. I think he's an ideal six hitter because he's the guy that swings your lineup from great to good, depending on where he's at in any given time. If you've got a guy like this that can profile as a 35 plus home run hitter on a year to year basis, and yeah, it's going to be a lower batting average. It's going to be a lower on base percentage than you want, but he's going to finish the season with an OPS around 800. You, I would sign up for that. I think this is the kind of hitter that the Cardinals have really struggled to produce from their lineup. This is the kind of guy that in any given offseason, you're paying $15 million to sign him. This is Jock Peterson. This is Kyle Schwarber. That's who this is. And for years, we've been we've been clamoring to add something like that to the lineup. But this is what it looks like. This is what the the highs and the lows have to be. And so for us here in St. Louis, we haven't seen much of it. And it it can be difficult to swallow at times when you're in the middle of it. I'm looking through here on like who the guys are that have hit 35 plus home runs for the Cardinals in recent years. None of these guys are the type of player that we're talking about here. It's Goldie Carpenter, Albert Pujols, Ryan Ludwig, Jim Edmonds, um, Mark McGuire, Jack Clark, Stan Musial. And we're 70 years ago now. You just we haven't seen this guy. This guy has not existed really for most of the you that are listening in the audience. This guy has never been a Cardinal. So now that we're actually going through it together, this is going to be a bit of a learning experience. It's a changing of the guard, so to speak. We are getting to see what it looks like when you watch Kyle Schwarber every single night and you don't just look at the back of the baseball card and see at the end of the year. Oh, I want that. (laughs) It feels different in the moment than it looks when you're seeing it on a stat sheet. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you guys want to get involved in the show, the way to do so today is 314-399-9646. That is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, I want to talk a little bit about the Blues. We've been focused so much on how do you improve the team for 2023? How do you make this roster better? Alex, what if I said this is a transition year? The Blues are trying to improve for 2024. What does that look like for this offseason? We'll answer the question next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We are trying to feed uh, feed uh, two masters right now. Uh, get competitive as quick as possible and have the the, the longest uh, window open available when when some of our younger players start to mature. That's sometimes a, a tricky situation. What we don't want to try and do is jam a square peg into a round hole. And so, if the trades don't make sense, if we can't see the value of let's say trading for a player with multiple years on his contract, knowing that. We're going to get value throughout that and he can help with the development. Uh, we, we're not going to do it or we're not going to, you know, it's, it's age and term. And I think those are those go hand in hand. 
That was Doug Armstrong yesterday speaking with the media about what the plan is for the NHL draft. We are less than a week away. Alex and T-Bone will be live in Nashville for that draft. We'll certainly have full updates from them next week in Nashville. Alex, leading up to that point, though, there's going to be a lot of discussion about what the Blues are going to do. They got three first-round picks this year. They also have two second-round picks to be able to play with in next year's draft, and that's going to include them in a lot of trade discussions. And earlier today, The Athletic put out some of their quote perfect fits for this offseason they talked about some of the trades and the signings that they would like to see the blues were included on that list the trade that they included on here now this is a hypothetical but to throw it out there for discussion travis konechny for the 25th overall pick in this year's draft and next year's second round pick that the blues acquired from toronto so you're giving up a first rounder this year late first rounder and a second rounder next next year for travis konechny the flyers forward who is under contract for the next few years he's a really good player a productive player uh he is smaller though he is slight in terms of the frame so that goes back to the discussion that we had about alex to alex what i wanted to bring up as the backdrop for this discussion with konechny because i think he fits into it nicely is kind of looking at this offseason a little differently than we have previously. We've been talking a lot about how do you make this team as good as possible for now and for the future? What if I told you, and this is just a one of those choose-your-own-adventure paths, right? What if instead of trying to be as good as possible this year, the Blues viewed it as a legitimate transition year? They said, all right, we're going to have to get some of this money off of the books for us to really improve next year. But we want to add at least one core piece this offseason that will be with us for years to come whenever we get good again. How does that change in your mind what this offseason needs to include? Does it at all? No, it doesn't. If you attack it by gaining one piece that you feel is going to benefit you moving forward in this window, then you're right on track. Because as much as I think they can compete this upcoming season – I agree with Doug Armstrong that in the eyes of this Blues team, you're not competing deep into a playoff run for at least two years. When some of these younger guys come up and can attribute to the team, obviously maturity is going to have to be a big piece of this. So Konechny would make sense. Or if you're going down the smaller route, if you're getting a physical player, if you're getting somebody who can score and add value to the offense and speed that you're trying to accomplish, great. But you have to pounce on it this offseason, and then next year you've got to get the one piece that you're going to be missing because this is my one problem with Travis Konechny from Philadelphia, and a lot of people on the text on it brought him up. Great player, physical player, small player. And if you remember listening to Doug Armstrong yesterday during his press conference, when Matt DeFranks asked about, you know, what do you look for when you're looking at prospects that are smaller, he said hockey smart and ability to keep with the puck. Think Jaden Schwartz, smaller guy, but the puck never came off of his stick. I don't know much about Konechny. I don't watch a lot of Philadelphia Flyers games. But if you go that route, you get a lot of smaller dudes. You need more size at your forward position if you're going to go that route. So that's where you have to pounce next offseason if you're going to go down this path. So if it's Debrinkit, if it's Konechny, if it's somebody else that's under the size of six foot that's a smaller guy that adds speed and offense, you're right on track. But that means now you've got to pounce and get it right two off-seasons rather than just one because you got to get size sooner or later. That's where I'm at. I think this off-season, if you're planning to get good now, you need to add size. 
Yes. That would be my number one priority. If Size puts you in a deep playoff run, I believe, possibly this year, depending on what you do with your defense. It opens up that possibility, right? That That is the, if we are going to open the door for 2023, the way that that door gets opened, the skeleton key, so to speak, is the size. You need somebody with size and physicality because right now you just don't have enough of that in your top nine. Going into next year, though, if you're planning to get good for 24, I could see how you end up in this path. Now, I don't love... Alex Brinkett, he's not my personal cup of tea, but he's a good player. Like, it's hard for me to argue against the productivity that you're going to get from either a Konechny or a Brinkett. They make you better. They just have obvious limitations in terms of their size. You could, however, hypothetically speaking, look to next offseason and say, yeah, we're not going to have Kasperi Kapanen. We're not going to have Jakub Vrana on this team when we get good again. The plan with them is to flip them at the deadline. I could totally see how Doug Armstrong looks at his team right now and says, yeah, two of our top six or nine, depending on how you view those two guys, they're going to be flipped at the deadline because we're going to get some assets in return from them. We got them for basically nothing last year, and we're going to add them to our top nine. We think they're going to do a pretty good job for us. We believe in the talent. And then next year, they're going to be helpful for somebody that's a contender. I mean, if you're a contender, think about Yakub Vrana. He's had a year now to rehab his image. He's gotten the productivity up. He's maybe scored 30 goals in that stretch. You look at him and say, hey, he's going to be a third-line player for us. Add some of that scoring punch, especially on the power play. Makes a lot of sense. Kapanen, same idea. This is a guy that can play third-line minutes for another team, play that like puck control type of style, and you add him, boom, you're ready to go for the stretch run. I understand how that works. But that is the filter through which I would be viewing it. I don't think you can add just Konechny or Debrinkit this offseason and say to yourself, all right, we're going to be great in 23. I don't view it that if way If you're at all. going down that path where you get one of those smaller guys adding to the offense and speed and you're thinking this opens up our window to start competing now, then you better fix the defense. Because and really fix like and overhaul the defense. Yes, because yeah. your offense identity, speed, skill, ability to beat teams to the puck, that's great. But if you're turning the puck over and backdoor tappins the way you just did last year, none of that matters. This is a sinker ball pitching team playing in front of a bad defense. Like that's what it becomes yeah. is you are now exposing yourself to more of your weakness. And yeah, you've added on to your strength. But you've also made that weakness will look even worse. It'd be like if you're a team like constructed the way that the Phillies are, right? Where they just said, we're going to slug to death everybody. We're going to bludgeon them. And then you build a group of uh, pitchers on your rotation the way that the Cardinals have. Th- that's not going to work. You've got a bunch of guys that are known for their bats in your infield. And now suddenly we're going to be pitching to contact. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That's what the Blues would be doing if they had all this speed and all of this playing off of the rush. And then you've still got the same defensive core for 23. If you do so with the known belief that next offseason is when you're going to have more opportunities to overhaul that defensive core because Marco Scandella's money is off of the books at that point. Maybe you're able to move easier Nick Letty's deal because now you've only got two years remaining on that contract. Or maybe they're willing to eat more of the money with only two years remaining on the contract. That all makes a lot more sense to me, but I think that is the the fork in the road moment for the Blues. They have to right now having be having conversations about what is our goal? What do we want to do in 23? Is this a transition year or is this a year that we're really trying to compete again? I think they could get to either of those two goals. It just it changes what you're trying to accomplish this offseason if you're going to go that direction. The other player that could be that, Alex, is Noah Hannafin. 
there's been a lot of speculation about what's going to happen with the Calgary Flames this offseason. And earlier today, Frank Saravalli of the day or uh, of daily Daily faceoff, excuse me, tweeted out that basically everything is imploding in Calgary right now. Craig Conroy takes over and everybody's like, not we're out. Noah Hannafin has told them, according to these reports. Yeah, I'm not resigning here. It sounds like Elias Lindholm unlikely to resign there. Who was the other one? Backstrom Backstrom. has decided that he's unlikely. This is a guy that they were hoping would be the captain. It looks like he's unlikely to come back as well. You add all of this up. You could be talking about a legitimate rebuild coming in Calgary. Well, I've got a team here in St. Louis that has a whole lot of picks and a whole lot of prospects. Making a deal for Noah Hannafin, the defenseman that is 26 years old, that is under contract for just the next season. Man, it is the best case scenario for the St. Louis Blues. It is also remarkably difficult to pull off if you're the Blues from a cap consideration standpoint. That would require at least one of your defensemen being moved out. And that's where Doug Armstrong has to work his magic the way that he did in the Pavel Buchnevich deal, the way that he did with the Braden Shin deal. Easier said than done, but that is the pie in the sky dream scenario for the Blues. It is. And I just, as tough as it is going to be, because you have to get one of your defensemen to agree to be moved away to open up that cap space to whomever you're going to. More than likely, it's a bottom dwelling team that's rebuilding that has the cap space. In terms of pulling the deal off, I don't know how difficult it is, but it, it, more in the in the terms of Doug Armstrong has done this before. It's the exact same situation that he was in when he had Yori Laterra and got Braden Shen from Philadelphia at the draft. He traded Yori Laterra, who had two years left on his contract at $4.7 million, an underperforming season. Now, he didn't have a no-trade clause, but Philadelphia thought that Laterra could help, but also knew that they needed to get some draft capital. What did Doug do? Traded a first and a... First round pick in 2017, first round pick in 2018, and they got Braden Shen. So, yeah, you're having to pay to get rid of somebody, but you got something back in return. That's this Noah Hannafin deal. If Calgary's losing all of these guys, Calgary's going to have to take a look in the mirror and say, we might need to do a fast retool here, and we might need to get some younger players who could be a part of our team in a couple of seasons. Enter where the Blues could potentially move a Zachary Bolduke in a draft pick, and maybe a Scott Perunovic, or maybe somebody else, to bring in Noah Hannafin, and then you have to do the three-way trade where you're calling another team to find out if they're willing to accept one of these defensemen. Final thing on this, Alex. A lot of people are bringing up the possibility of Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm coming over to St. Louis. That's a little more difficult. If Elias Lindholm was under contract for like the next three years at a reasonable cost, I would be totally into that. And I would say figure out a way to make it work. It's going to be difficult, but you can find a way given what we've seen in the past uh, with Doug Armstrong. Lindholm is reportedly asking for an eight-year deal worth at least $8 million per season. That is not something, A, that I would be interested in, and B, that I think the Blues can even consider doing unless they decided to trade Jordan Cairo. And in this scenario, I think you're getting worse if you trade Cairo for Lindholm. Lindholm is a better two-way player, but Cairo is certainly a more dynamic player, and Lindholm doesn't fit into the age constrictions that the Blues are placing upon themselves the way that Jordan Cairo does right now. So I wouldn't do that. I don't think Lindholm is your answer there. I do think you could do something like Hannafin and Ross Colton for the Blues this offseason because Colton fits into the age and the money that the Blues are probably going to be handing out this offseason. It'd be tough. You're adding like $10 million to the books. That would require you to eliminate four or five million bucks this offseason to be able to make those. Which moves. is the Nick Letty contract if you want to go down that path. And yep. again, that brings me to a team like Anaheim that once veteran defenseman, you'd have to get Letty to accept it. But I mean, you might even 
be able to get another team to eat some of the salary conversations. It could be two separate trades rather than a three-team trade. But what I'm saying is as many people think that it's possible to do because you got all these contracts, it really isn't. It it just comes down. The toughest part impossible. is going to find a way to get a defenseman to agree to be moved away from your team to go to a bad team. But if that's able to happen, and again, this has happened a lot of times in the National Hockey League. It's not like this has never happened before. You got to get that first. But if you get that first, it sounds more and more like Calgary is going to be willing to accept the pieces you have to offer in terms of not giving up NHL ready players. We're less than a week away. Alex is headed to Nashville alongside Tanner Hendrickson to report live from the 2023 NHL draft. The Blues have the 10th overall pick and you can tune in next Wednesday night starting at six o'clock. Alex is going to be on site for Bridgestone Arena in Nashville for a special NHL draft live show. He'll be talking with special guests and covering everything that is happening at this year's draft. It's Wednesday night in Nashville. Alex and T-Bone live from Nashville starting at 6 o'clock. The draft show is brought to you by Swiss Air Heating and Cooling. Coming up next, what is the primary takeaway from the Cardinals winning four out of six on their road trip? And what does it mean big picture? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It was a good series, good trip. Guys are playing extremely well. Um, offensively, our guys, we didn't score today, but our guys actually feel pretty good about where they're at. Up and down our lineup, guys are feeling pretty good. I felt like we fought hard in certain games. We were able to come back in certain games. Our Miles today did a really nice job. Jack fought through his outing, got us to the seven. So overall, I felt like certain pieces are starting to come together. You look at it, the outfield play, it's much, much better. There's a lot of things that are happening that are very positive and, and pointing in the right direction as far as the style of play that we're used to seeing and we need to play in order to get to where we want to get to. So I take this trip as a positive so far. I do as well. That was Ollie Marmol yesterday after the game, speaking with Bally Sports Midwest. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get to questions and answers in about 10 minutes or so. You can get those in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. Alex, the Cardinals have won four of their last five. Some of us view it as four of their last four because we don't count what happened yesterday. And that was yeah, that outside. fake baseball game that was played exclusively because they didn't want to have to re, uh, reschedule that one with the team heading out to London. You but are literally doing neither here nor exactly there. what people do when a hockey game goes bad and say, oh, the ice conditions were poor. Well, the, did you see the field conditions yesterday? Yeah, it was raining. Brady Donovan could get that ball on the hop. Exactly. It was a bad one. His hands were wet. Neither here nor there. They won four of their last six, if you want to include all of the games that <laughs> happened on this road trip. What are we talking about? They won each of the last two series and Alex for me that's what you're looking for just start stacking these series on top of each other T-Bone mentioned it yesterday what do you need to see prior to the uh the all-star break to really start buying back into this team 
And it's winning one out of two against Chicago. It's winning two of three against Houston, two out of three against New York, three out of four against Miami, and then two out of three against Chicago. Just consistently start winning these series. And if you're able to do that, man, we're going to look up by the time that we get to the end of July as you're getting to the trade deadline and saying to ourselves, all right, you know what? Maybe they've got a shot here. It feels crazy to believe that right now as you're 13 games under 500. But we've seen it before with the Cardinals. They find ways to do this in the most strange of ways. And right now with the team that we've been watching over the last week, small sample size, understood, they do feel a little different. The vibes around the team look different to the naked eye. Alex, what was your biggest takeaway from what we've seen from them over their last six games? I mean, if you was, want to include all six. It was their offense. I mean, their offense was the reason that they won both of those series. God, I, I hate you sometimes with some of that stuff. You only want to include the wins. You know, only wins are part of this. Yes, four of four. In apparently. my mind, they're 31 and 0. <laughs> yeah. And again, you're in your mind, they're the best team in the in Major League Baseball. Correct. The offense was the takeaway because the games that they won, their offense showed why they can steal games, whether it was being behind in the New York Mets series or being tied and still coming back or being behind in the National Series. You found ways in your offense carried you, even if your pitching wasn't at its best. And if you look at the losses that PK doesn't believe actually happened, correct. the offense was just abysmal. The first game against the Mets, I mean, Katie basically told us it looked like For the first time, they had just given up. And then you had the Nationals game yesterday where, because of the weather, they just apparently couldn't hit the ball. That's the difference with this Cardinals team. And when you look at it the rest of the way, now you're going up against more and more superior pitching staffs. You're going to take on a really good Cubs pitching team. How do you hit against them? Then you got the Yankees. Then you got the Astros. Then you got the Marlins. That is going to be the testament of this team. If your offense continues to show up and win you series, then you're going to be fine. Then all of this talk of me not believing in this Cardinals team is for naught. But my bigger issue with all of this is what we talked about in the open. You have massive slumps with individuals that when it comes to going up against superior pitching staffs, it seems like that's the game where three or four guys go silent rather than just one out of your nine in the batting order. Yeah, I I think the offense, then the length of the lineup was the thing that was the biggest takeaway from this road series. Because to Alex's point, the games they won – they won because they're offense. Now you can argue like they got some solid pitching performances in there. Like Monty in game two against Washington was really good. But the main reason they won is because their offense was slugging. And it and it came from not just the middle of the order. I think he had one game where Arnado had two home runs in which he won. But a lot of production came from the bottom. Paul DeYoung had a really good road trip. Uh, Dylan Carlson had a really good road trip. So uh, the biggest takeaway for me was, and we said this early on in the year, when this lineup is hitting, they can play to their identity and they're going to beat a lot of teams. They're going to be able to go on this run that we're talking about where they take a lot of win a lot of series, take them two or three, three or four. They could go into London and could sweep the Chicago Cubs in this two-game set. But when the offense goes cold, they just they don't have the pitching to help propel them out of it. So my biggest takeaway was the offense kind of got back in tune with itself. The only guy that's really struggling right now, because like Tommy Evans, though in the month he's hitting below 200, I think he's got a hit in four of the last five. The only guy that's really struggling right, right now is Nolan Gorman. Contreras is starting to break out of his slump. Arnado's been good. So I, the offensively they are getting back to this identity that they need to have if they're going to go on this run to get back at top of the CNL Central Division. So the Athletic put together a piece earlier today on why it might be a little early to completely count out the Cardinals. And one of those reasons as to why was what you guys were just mentioning, and that's the offense. They talked about when you have Goldie, Arnato, Walker, Gorman, and Newt Bar, that that group of five in your lineup on a day-to-day basis, you're probably going to be a pretty good offense. And over time, that's going to matter for the Cardinals. They also had a few other reasons as to why it might be early for us to count them out completely. One, the division. 
They play in a bad division. I know people are sick of hearing about it, but it's true. And that's part of why national analysts, at least, are not going to completely give up on this team. Two, the run differential. They have run into some bad luck. They've been now some of this is created by their own doing. They have had terrible defense for the vast majority of the season. They pitched a contact and they haven't been able to get those big hits often enough to get themselves out of this bad luck scenario. But that's playing into their run differential, which which suggests they should be like the second best team in the National League Central so far this year. And then the other one was their history in the second half. They've had this devil magic where they pull out crazy winning streaks or they come from 10 games behind in the month of August and then end up winning the division. They make the playoffs with their worst teams in 06 and 11 and find a way to win the World Series. We've just seen the Cardinals do stuff like this so many times that people are really skeptical of completely counting them out. Alex, for me, if I was to take one reason why I am not giving up on them yet, it's the division. I know it sounds like a cop-out, but as great as it has been to watch this year's Reds team and what the energy is that is surrounding them, and they've won, what is it now, 12 straight? I, I just don't know if I'm totally buying it yet. I think right now they would be my pick to win the Central. But I think eventually the league is going to correct itself against that lineup, and you're going to start seeing them going through a month where they go like a 350 winning percentage. And in that stretch, it comes down to the Cardinals taking advantage of it. I don't believe in the Brewers. I don't believe in the Cubs. I don't believe in the Pirates. I think all of them are frauds. So really, it comes down to, are the Reds going to be able to sustain this? I think the answer is no. So for me, my answer is that the division is so bad, there's going to be an opportunity before the end of the year for the Cardinals to go on a run. Here's my problem with that. One, two teams are obviously better than you in the division right now. The Cubs and the Reds. Cubs have won 10 of their last 12. The Reds, you just mentioned on this win streak. Two, Look at your record against these NL Central teams. You, I don't believe you've won a series against the NL Central yet this season. I also don't think the Cardinals have played good baseball for the vast majority of the season. So this comes down to you have to take advantage of the teams that you're going up against. I don't want to hear any more about the schedule. Like the rest of the way, you're going to have two games right here in, in London. It's not, an ob, it's not an advantageous situation, but this is what you got. Got two games, beat them. Yeah. Beat them head to head. And after the All Star break, you got four against Chicago and then four more against Chicago. Kick their ass. You go into their season. That is up to you. Win and those 10 games, win eight of them. Put them behind you in the standings. If you're able to do that, you can take care of your own business. And you haven't shown me that yet. I'm skeptical of that. Chicago's got better pitching than you, which we've seen the offense scuffles there. Cincinnati's got more of a electric offense than yours do in terms of momentum. And they've beaten you every single time. The Cubs are, I'm sorry, the Brewers. I think the Cardinals are better. The next time they play them, I'll be interested, but I don't believe you've only, you only won one series against them and the pirates. For some reason, they have devil magic on you. So yeah, you're right. Beat them. And I'll start to believe, but you haven't played well against them. This is a really interesting series, by the way, this weekend with the two pitchers you're going up against steel's been awesome this year. And Mark, Marcus Stroman is the exact kind of pitcher that the Cardinals have struggled against. Sinker baller puts the ball in play, but doesn't get hit very hard hard very often. Their defense is excellent behind him. This is a series where we're going to find out, was this a blip for the Cardinals offense or was it real? And if you end up seeing them in a stadium that is designed to hit a lot of home runs and the Cardinals are a home run centric offense, if they're not able to take advantage of that, then come Monday, we're going to be talking about it and saying to ourselves, all right, well, 
yeah, I know it's only two games, but the urgency is there. It is required for them to go out and have a good weekend. Just this to weekend. correct yeah. myself, they did win the series against the Cubs and Brewers. Sorry. I well, also too, I, I, I this reminds me of 2021 before they went on that winning streak. Because remember, in like late August, right before that winning streak, they're in the wild card race, and it was them, the Reds, the Padres, and there might have been one more team. I can't remember who. And everybody just kind of was like. The Cardinals were playing bad baseball. Now, it wasn't this bad where they're 13 games below 500, but they were playing bad baseball at the time. And I was like, is this team really going to turn this thing around and get get going? And everybody just kind of stayed even with, with each other. And the Cardinals took off and were able to get on a winning streak, ended up running away with it. And what did they do? They did exactly what BK just said when they played the Cubs, where it's, hey, go in there and kick their ass. That's what they did to San Diego. Remember, I think they swept San Diego at home and put them down. And then they beat the Cincinnati Reds and basically said, this is our wild card spot and nobody else is going to take it from us. That's the same kind of mentality that they have to have this year in the Sentinel Central is the same mentality they had in 2021 when they end up going on that winning streak. So they were on August 5th of that year, 53 and 55. They're 31 and 44 right now. So they would have to go 22 and 11 in their next 33 games in order to get to that place on August 5th of this year. That is winning two out of every three games. Yeah, That's what they got to do. They got to go out there and do exactly what T-Bone said yesterday, which is win every single one of these series. And that doesn't mean like you literally have to go out there and win two out of three in all of these series individually. You're going to have to sweep some. You're going to end up losing two out of three against some of these teams. That's just the way that it goes. But you got to find a way to win roughly 66% of all of these games. Quote, win more games than the other teams in the NL Central, and you're back in it, BK. That's right. Nailed man. it, man. There's only so many places you can go to get this kind of analysis, Alex Ferrario. If you score more runs... And the other teams, when you get in the playoffs, you're going to be World Series champions. Do you remember when uh, Matt Hasselbeck said that on TV? Or was it? No, it was Trent Dilfer. It was Trent Dilfer. He said, uh, if you score more than your opponents, you're going to win more often than not. Nailed it. I, I was thinking I to myself this. when I heard that, I think that checks out. Uh, see, my thought process <laughs> when you just said it was, wait, what's the scenario which you lose when you score more runs than the other person? That's also a good follow-up question. Extra we'll get to innings. more of those kinds of questions next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get questions on the text line. T-Bone just asked this coming back from break. We're going to talk some hoops here. Oh, yeah, we are. Oh, oh. oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We're going to talk some hoops. Oh yeah. So this comes from uh, Shams, who's on Pat McAfee's show. He's one of the top insiders in the NBA. He just said, quote, I can't remember the last draft where I've heard so many star players that were being rumored in trade talks. If you missed it last night, the big move for the Boston Celtics, they decided to trade to Memphis, Marcus Smart. They ended up getting Chris Stops Porzingis in that deal. Um, and Memphis gets Marcus Smart, who's, I think, a perfect fit for them. I, I really like the deal for them, even if they gave up probably too much in terms of the draft draft capital. I think he's going to help them. The question that I had, though, not so much about that specific uh, trade. Shim said he's never heard this many star level players rumored. We hear stuff like this a lot, though. Going into any NFL draft or uh, NBA draft, NHL draft, same thing. You hear a bunch of talk about stars being dealt. 
And then you get to the draft and there's like two guys, maybe, on a good year that end up getting dealt. Who do you guys think is actually in play? Who could actually be on the move this year in the NBA? Now that I was just looking at like the list of teams, because like originally I'm like, man, I can't think of anybody. But now that I've got like the team names in front of me, Siakam from Toronto, I could see. And there had been rumors. I don't know if this is still the case or not, where Levine was unhappy in Chicago. Um, so maybe those are the two names that end up happening. We've talked about it. Maybe Damian Lillard as well if they select with that That's third the overall me. pick. Those are probably the three names that I would put on like, you know what? Zion? Keep an eye on them. Well, Zion too. Yeah, I guess four. Dame's the one for me because I think if they select that number three overall pick and it's not Scoot Henderson, I think Lillard wants out. I, I just, how many times can you rebuild with that, with that team with him? And, and as much as we talked earlier this week, how we appreciate somebody who wants to stick with their team and commit to it. You're also not getting any younger, and man, to continue to do this rebuild, that's got to suck for him. So I think he's the one that wants out. What about Trey? I was just kind of thinking that name in my head. I love Trey Young. I think he's a super fun player. I don't know if you can win a title with him. He's pretty disgruntled in Atlanta right now. I would consider it if I was them. And, and by the way, if I'm another team and like I'm in the pits of mediocrity, I don't know who the team specifically is that could make it work. Like Houston, for example, they need a star. Go ahead and trade for Trey Young. I think that guy makes you better. He's going to get buckets. He's going to sell tickets, if nothing else. He's a star. Like, he's got that star power presence OKC. about him. OKC. Yeah, throw somebody uh, in with Shea. Maybe. I really like Shea, though. I, I want him handling the ball. If you could convince Trey to go off ball, maybe you consider doing something like that. You know the guy that I've been thinking about a lot lately? Sorry, I was just wanting to say. <laughs> you know the guy I've been thinking a lot about lately? Who, yeah, buddy? Who? Does it Car- match with your junk drawer yesterday? Nope. Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What are we doing? I don't I really mean, want him on my team. I don't either. And that's why if I'm Minnesota, I'd be listening to offers. I'd take him on my team. He's I mean, it seems like you're a little bit a of a head case. man that can shoot. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems a little bit of a head case off-court issues, but big man who can shoot. We just saw what that means in the playoffs. I, I would be interested if he's available. I don't think they'll do it because Boston just added a big man yesterday. But if I was them and oh, yeah. I was offered Carl Anthony Towns for Jalen Brown, I would consider that. The, now you can't because you added Kristaps Porzingis and there's no reason to have both of those guys on your roster. But that's the kind of thing that I, I, if, I could find interesting. What if San Antonio tries to jump in on one of these guys to add with their number one overall pick that they select? I hope so. Like you got to put a veteran with him. Like Carl Anthony Towns, that would make I, sense. I don't think he will do it. I would be shocked. But we've talked a lot about Chris Paul, where he ends up. Man, I think it would be really cool to see him with Wimbenyama because pop. he is... For all of his issues, Chris Paul is a really good veteran leader. And to have him around what I believe to be one of the best young talents, I mean, not just me, what everybody believes to be one of the best young talents that we've seen come in the NBA, I think there's value in that. If you're Pop, you have to have that too, you would imagine. You need somebody. You want that veteran presence. I mean, he's lived with those guys for so long, and now the last few seasons you haven't had that. Yeah, and I think like Dame, if he gets dealt, would make sense for San Antonio for the Paul same George. conversation. We haven't mentioned Paul George. He's oh, yeah, somebody that came up in uh, trade conversations yesterday, apparently. He'll probably get yeah, traded to whoever drafts uh, Brandon Allen or Brandon right. Miller. He's going to go back to Indiana. So there's your NBA talk here on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's get to some of the other stuff that you guys would like to hear about. From the 618. Guys, if you added Noah Hannafin to the Blues roster in place of one of your left-handed defensemen, would a top three of Hannafin, Falk, and Pareko be good enough to legitimately compete for a cup? I mean, somebody else should probably answer this because I'm going to sound like a homer, but yeah. And I think you add in the fourth, 
If Marco Scandella is healthy, he has shown the ability to play in your top four and play it well. You've got size. All of those guys, with the exception of Justin Falk, are above the height of six foot two. Got the size. Noah Hannafin is considered to be one of the top pairing defensemen in the NHL. So I would argue yes. I think that it would be one of the weaker defensive cores that's won a cup recently. Yeah. But put that defense in front of Jordan Bennington, who proves to play well in the playoffs. And that's why I would say I also think the West is weaker than it's been recently. Let's not forget, too. I mean, look, you can't you can't deny how great of a defenseman Alex Petrangelo was in that playoff run because he was a you don't have an elite defenseman but you also were playing with Vince Dunn Carl Gunnarsson in your top four in the playoffs now again it offsets when you got an elite guy and you put a fringe guy up there and you had Jay Bomeister but also remember if you've got a guy who can prove to play in your top pair another guy who plays in your top pair Justin Falk who could play in your top pair it does even itself out that's what I was gonna say is that to me you don't have that shut down top pair though and, and that's why, like, even though you can bring in Hannafin, like, I, what if I don't Hannafin see... What adds that with Pareko? Because Hannafin is about the same style of play as Jay Bollmeister was. Not as tall, but same style of play. I just don't know, like, even if you have the shutdown pair, you don't have the number one. And I, I think you need the number one guy. I and agree. I don't think Pareko's that guy. I I, I would be trading... I would trade Pareko if the right offer came to the table this year. Go get Mackenzie Weger. Oh, God bless you, man. Mackenzie Weger's answer. They're oh, not going to do it because he's, he's too old and they think he's geriatric because he's over the age of 30. But Mackenzie Weger would be the guy that, like, if you really wanted to change the look of this defensive core, he would be the guy that I would go after. But it's expensive. He is a little bit older. And I do understand the hesitancy to do something like that. But I also think you could probably get him for cheaper because he is a little bit more expensive and because he is a little bit older. Oh, see, I disagree. I think Hannafin's cheaper than Uyghur. Really? Because Hannafin wants out. Hannafin's got one more year left. Uyghur's under contract. Get both. Wow. (laughs) Why not both? Well, in that case, you could probably trade a Colton Pareko to Calgary because you're getting a righty and a lefty. Yeah, let's do it. No, let's not. Coming up next, (laughs) what would you be willing to give up from the Cardinals' depth to improve that rotation? And I'm talking about depth, like the really good depth that they've got available to them. No, not like Luke and Baker. We'll talk about that next (laughs) year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on pitching you're gonna have to deal from where you have some players and where you have players now is that the big league big league level outfielders are in the case of tommy edmund somebody that's got some versatility my question for you guys is if you knew that you can get quality starting pitching not only for this year but for next year who would you give up out of the three players edmund newt bar dylan carlson that was Anthony Stalter yesterday on the fast lane talking about what the Cardinals can do in order to improve this rotation. Alex, we all agree with this simple fact. Cardinals rotation isn't good enough. And if you wanted to improve it, the place where you start is not at the back end, replacing Matthew Libertor with Rich Hill or something like that, right? He's the classic. Hey, we need innings. Who do we go get? Rich Hill's available every year. No, don't go that path. You need to go out there and get a stud. You need to go out there and get a guy that can start a game one for you in a playoff series if you ended up making the postseason. So that's the starting point for this conversation. I appreciate that Stalter brought this up yesterday on the fast line. I think it's a really good place to begin. The tough part is figuring out, okay, you need that guy. We all agree there. 
what do you give up? That's where it gets a Prospects. lot more difficult. Good point there. Let's go a little bit deeper on that thought process, right? Let's no. explore this a little bit. No, go man. ahead and sit on this chair. Let's talk. Don't dive into that. That's not an area. Alex, if you were thinking about who the guys are that have the most trade value, there's a trade simulator out there. You could take it or leave it, but I think it's a good starting point. It gives you the idea of kind of who the guys are that have the most trade value on the Cardinals. Here's what they have in, in order. Jordan Walker is the most trade value on the Cardinals right there. And then going down, Gorman, Donovan, Newt Barr, Edmund, Carlson. Those are the guys that have the most trade values right now for the St. Louis Cardinals. If you're thinking about putting together some kind of a package for a Shane Bieber or a Dylan Cease, guys that really change the complexion of this rotation, where do you start? What are you willing to give up as that centerpiece for a deal. I would call the team and say the four names that you just mentioned, Carlson, Newt Bar, Donovan, Edmund, pick one of each, pick one of the utility infielders, one of the outfielders. And that's my package because as much as I would hate to lose one of Donovan or Edmund and one of Newt Bar or Carlson, get a lot of spots where frankly, they're just not fitting in right now, specifically when it comes to finding playing time. I know it's working right now, but Walker's going to be your everyday outfield. Newt Barr or Carlson's going to be out there. You've got Edmund. You've got Donovan. You've got Gorman. Right now, you've got DeYoung, and then you've got Mason Wynn. I think the pieces start with Donovan or Edmund, depending on which one their appetite is for, and then the next piece comes to Carlson or Newt Barr. And I, as this, much- is, this is not something that will happen, I don't think. But if the Guardians called you and said, hey, we'll do Lars Newt Barr straight up for Shane Bieber. Sure. I wouldn't do I wouldn't do that. To me, it's too much control for Newt Bar and, and I yes, Texans gonna hate me because I'm an analytics nerd, but uh I uh I look at Bieber's underlying stuff and go, No, no thanks. Like he can't continue well, to pitch this. So who's the guy that you're gonna can't get in keep terms of the yeah. <laughs> well, exactly who's who's the number one guy then that you're going for if it's not Shane Bieber? Because they're not out there. Mine would be Dylan Cease. Cease has got some swing and miss stuff more than Shane Bieber. And, and like See, his... this is the thing that I have an issue with those T Bone, because I like I totally agree oh, with you. You know go. I'm in the numbers nerd. Here right? we go. He's gonna. Here we go. No, learn your lesson. At what point do we look at the actual numbers instead of the underlying numbers? I, I'm gonna be the anti-numbers nerd here for a moment. What, what the hell happened? I to you? know, I know. One of these pitchers has actually been good this year. The other one is theoretically good. So, at what point do we say, like, hey, you know what? Actually, Shane Bieber's the better pitcher here. I want the guy that gets the results. And when I look at Shane Bieber and I see what the actual numbers are, man, he gets results every year. Last year, the dude threw 200, and inning, 200 innings to a 2.9 ERA. This year, he's thrown 95 innings halfway through the season with a 3.5 ERA. Yeah, the strikeout stuff is not where you'd want it to be. It's at 6.5 per nine innings. That's bad. It's not good. That's not what the Cardinals were hoping for. But he's getting results. Doesn't that matter at some point? Meanwhile, Dylan Cease hasn't been getting those same results. The the thing for me, though, and I think this comes down to what Eno said to us before Eno Saris of The Athletic, where and I always butcher this quote, but it's, you know, stuff is something that you want and command always fluctuates. And I, I think that's what Bieber is. You can't you can't like teach stuff. He's got he doesn't have stuff. He's got command. And the thing that I have trouble with him is there's just blinking red lights. Like if his velo hadn't been dipping, then I could continue to I could understand the argument of 
yeah, he probably is getting lucky, but at least he's throwing the ball hard, and it's not a trajectory downwards in terms of his velo. But there's just too many blinking red lights. And with Cease, look, I get it that the results aren't there. 4-2-2 ERA, and he's walking four batters per nine, but he's striking out 10, uh, 10.5 per nine. Like, I get it. That is a bit of a concern. But he's got stuff to where when he is right, he's going to throw a 2-2 ERA and 32 starts and cover 184 innings like he did last year. So if and, I asked you the same question, Newt Bar for Cease. I would do it. I, I would part with Newport for a guy that's got swing and miss. I'm tired of the I'm tired of hearing the pitch to contact because it's clearly not working and it's a gamble that the St. Louis Cardinals are taking. Anytime that ball is put in play, it is a just a th- throw it on a throw something on a dartboard to see if it's going to be a base hit because this whole idea of sinkers down in the zone that's not working. Three of the five guys on the staff throw sinkers and they're getting demolished and forcing fastball guys like Jack Flaherty. The reason he's getting hit is because he's not throwing hard. He throws 92 mile an hour, and he doesn't know where the ball's going. So they need swinging his stuff with guys that throw about 95 miles an hour. Let me give you guys a scenario then. Why can't you get Shane Bieber and your guy Lucas Giolito from the White Sox? Why can't you do both? You could. Because that... Conceivably, uh, at least. I mean, it's amazing to me how many people are calling me an idiot right now for trading Newt Bar for Shane Bieber, where last season it was a matter of giving up probably Mason Wynn for Shane Bieber because you were desperate to get a number one pitcher. I think Shane Bieber makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals. I don't know that he fixes all of their problems, but I but do agree what... with you, Alex. Like At some point, we just got to improve. Like you, At some point, you just have to be okay with the fact that, like, let's say Dylan Cease is unavailable at the trade deadline, T-Bone, because I think that's... I don't think that the White Sox are going to trade him. I'd be pretty surprised by that because they see what we all see, which is this guy has excellent stuff. We're selling low on him right now. It doesn't really make sense for us to do that. So then you get to the deadline. It's like, all right, so who are the options? Who do you go out there and get? The most likely outcome is not a whole lot. It's like Shane Bieber is the best option, and then you've got a bunch of dudes that probably profile pretty similarly to what you have. They're kind of in that Montgomery Flaherty range of being pretty good, but not great. Well then go get Shane Bieber, go get the guy that is the best. Don't go settle for this year's version of Jordan Montgomery, which was a good trade last year. I I thought it was smart. Go get the guy at the top of the market. And the tough part with that is if he ends up being the top guy in the market, it's going to cost you a lot. It's going to be difficult. It's going to make you feel a little queasy when you have to trade something of significance for him. Maybe it ends up being Lars Newtbar. Maybe it ends up being Brendan Donovan and one of your top prospects, like an Yvonne Herrera or something like that. You're going to have to give up a lot for a guy that is this good at this point in the season, which makes it even more frustrating that they weren't able to address it in the offseason. But that's that is what it ends up looking like when you make this kind of a deal at the deadline. So I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to lie. It may not come out the way I expect it to in my head here. Shane Bieber is too much of a Cardinals way move that they need to move away from it. And what I mean by that is he is the typical, hey, let's go get a guy that's going to pitch to contact, and he's good. he basically fits into our our philosophy of throwing sinkers in the zone, pitch to contact, play to our defense. It is time to abandon that. It is time to modernize the rotation. And though I understand what you're saying of don't go out there and settle for the Jordan Montgomery, I don't say settle for the Montgomery, but I say settle for a Montgomery, yes, maybe number three starter right now at this year's deadline that's got more swing and miss stuff than what Jordan Montgomery had. And I can already see the 
wheels are turning in your head of, they need the ace, they need the ace. Yeah, go figure that out in the offseason. This team right now isn't worth spending the capital on for an ace. See, but I would say that this is the start of your offseason. Yeah. If you're going to go get, like, for example, a Bieber, and I know he's just my placeholder here because I don't know who the name is that is going to be available at the deadline. Honestly, I don't think there is going to be one that is available at the deadline who you have around for future seasons or at least a season, as is the case for Shane Bieber. Go get that guy now so you can start out your offseason from a point of strength as opposed to right now, you would be going into the offseason if you added that number three starter like Lucas Giolito, for example, at a point of weakness because everybody knows, again, the Cardinals need that pitcher. When we were negotiating with the Cardinals last year, it was the A's doing this for the catcher because everybody knew the Cardinals needed a catcher. Ah, we're going to go ahead and get everything you ha- you've got. And then eventually the Cardinals signed their catcher, and then the A's were like, oh, bleep. Now we don't have anybody else that's as desperate as the Cardinals were. We're going to have to end up taking less than what the Cardinals would have given us. If the Cardinals add that guy that can at least conceivably fit the role as a number one, now you go into the offseason, and if you're talking with trade guys, maybe they aren't, they aren't looking at you as quite as desperate as you otherwise would have and been. here's my issue with the idea of going to get your ace in the offseason Cardinals won't do it if the Cardinals got 30 million dollars to spend and there's an ace sitting there for them they'll convince themselves that there's two guys See. that are in the middle that they can give 15 and, mil and each this to. is where I would push back because I I would typically agree with that of yeah they wouldn't do it I don't know how that changes if they miss the playoffs. If they miss the playoffs and they finish below 500, I truly believe there are going to be significant changes. Whether that yeah, means a staff change, whether that means a coaching change, if that means a philosophy change in terms of how they run the team in terms of modernization of the pitching staff. And let's just be honest, they admitted last this offseason that their model is going to be tested. And right now the model is failing. I, I can't sit here and say... Yeah, they wouldn't sign an ace in the offseason because I just don't know how they react when they have a season like <laughs> the this. last time. It was a complete overhaul yeah. of the organization from top to bottom. Yeah, it, it does change some things. And I think that's worth keeping in mind. By the way, Cleveland is 35 and 38. Now they are just one game back in the division because much like the NL Central, the Isn't AL Central is an atrocity. Minnesota below 500 in first. Yeah. Ugh. And they also have one of their top starters with McKenzie. He's, he's out for at least the next month. So uh, they could be falling back again. And if that ends up being the case Shane Bieber is definitely a guy that I think could become available at the deadline he right now to me would be the clear-cut number one target and then it becomes a question of who else is available but your guys in the outfield Carlson Newt Barr Donovan even Tommy Edmond there are to your point Alex the guys that we're going to have to be talking about come deadline time because all of these teams that we're talking about they want players that are ready to go for their major league roster coming up next Tyson Nash former NHLer he was able to play with a Blues player that is now heading to the Hall of Fame and let's see if he's got some stories about a former Blues coach that's heading to the Hall of Fame as well Tyson Nash next we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Brandon Kylie and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN as we head out to our guest line and welcome in one of my favorites, Tyson Nash, former St. Louis Blue, now a part of the Arizona Coyotes organization as a broadcaster. But the main reason is because yesterday we found out that his former teammate, Pierre Turgeon, and not his former coach, but he's been around the NHL long enough, Ken Hitchcock, is both headed to the Hall of Fame, among many others. Tyson, great to have you. Let's start with Pierre Turgeon. When I heard his name go in, I said, finally, because I've been advocating for this guy 
to get into the Hall of Fame for about the last five, six seasons. Your thought on Pierre Turgeon going into the Hall of Fame? Well, first of all, you know, congratulations to, to both those guys. Uh, they're both Hall of Fame people. Uh, I think that's the first thing that stands out to my mind. I know Pierre Turgeon. Uh, when I first came to St. Louis as a rookie, this guy was one of the best veterans, one of the, the most welcoming teammates uh, I've ever had. And, you know, when you walk in as a rookie, you know all about Pierre Turgeon. You know he's a superstar in the National Hockey League. Um, and he's one of the first guys that comes over and welcomes you to the team and makes you feel comfortable. Uh, and then you go out there as a rookie and watch him perform. You watch how he works. That's what stands out the most for me. He had all the skills, all the talent. Uh, but this guy went out and he was the hardest worker uh, before the game doing squats and lunges <laughs> and deadlifts and, and cleans in the hallway. Like, I mean, literally an hour before the game, getting himself ready. Uh, this guy was a true professional and obviously the, the points followed. Tyson, when you think about what it means to be a Hall of Famer, everybody's got one thing in particular, typically, right, that comes to mind of like, for example, with us, baseball here in St. Louis, uh, Nolan Arnato is going to be an eventual Hall of Famer. He's one of the best defensive third basemen to ever do it. When you think about Pierre Turgeon and what he was able to do that got him to the Hall of Fame, what comes to mind for you? Well, I think that he was just a, a big game player. It, you know, there were, there were games, and of course we had a, a great team. My first year there, we won the President's Trophy, but we would march into buildings, and we had a confidence about us. Not not arrogant, but we had a belief system. And it was because we had guys like Pierre Turgeon, Pavel Dimitra, that you knew when push came to shove, you're down a goal, you're down by two, you're down by three. We, we never panicked, we never worried, because we always knew our big boys. Al McKinnis, Chris Pronger, but, you know, Pierre Turgeon was that guy up front offensively that always seemed to make the big play uh, on the biggest of stages at that moment. And I'll tell you what, that's a special player. That's what gets you into the Hall of Fame. Um, but again, and, and I think I heard Ken Hitchcock talking to somebody yesterday on some radio station or podcast yesterday. But it's the things that you remember about the guy, the, the points and the goals, you, you remember all that stuff, of course, when you look at it. But the biggest thing that stands out is the character of that person being a good person, um, the kind of teammate you were. And, and again, obviously just showing up in the, in those big moments. That was Pierre Turgeon. Now Tyson. And again, we're talking with former blues forward Tyson Nash here on BK and Ferrario. You brought up Ken Hitchcock. I did my research last night. Cause I was curious if you had played under Ken Hitchcock and you started in your juniors the year after Ken Hitchcock left coaching that juniors team. You of course went up against him in the postseason when he was the coach of the Dallas stars. What type of individual from your perspective was Ken Hitchcock? Well, I, it actually goes back a little bit further for me. Uh, Ken Hitchcock was, uh, he was coaching where I grew up in, in Shore Park, Alberta, just outside of Edmonton. Uh, he was coaching the, the Alberta chain gang uh, just as I was coming up. So it seemed like every year that I would make that jump, Ken Hitchcock would make a jump as well. And he would go to the, the next team. And that next team happened to be the Camelot Blazers. I was a listed player. Uh, they didn't have the draft back then. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I made it to the Camelot Blazers as a 16-year-old, uh, Ken Hitchcock then made the jump, I believe, to the Philadelphia Flyers was his first opportunity. So uh, I was always around him. I never uh, was blessed enough to, to have him as a coach. Um, but this is a guy that I think I got to know more uh, after he uh, he retired and, and uh, wasn't coaching anymore. I did a few events, a few charity events with him. And this guy is a stand-up human. And you... you you look at the players that he 
that he coached and that played under him and the relationships that he had. He was really hard on players. I, I knew that. That was uh, kind of the rumor around the, the street. But he was a motivator. He always found a way to get you know, the most out of every single player. And some guys he had to poke and prod. Some guys, I'm sure he had to stroke a little bit. And, uh, you know, but again, you look at the results. You look at what this guy has done as a coach, uh, where he's won at every single level. This guy is the epitome of, of a coach. Former NHL forward Tyson Nash is joining us here on 101 ESPN. So, Tyson, those are the two guys uh, here, St. Louis, with local ties that were able to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame this year. One guy that we're still waiting for, and I have to imagine it's going to happen sooner rather than later for him, is Keith Kachuk. We've certainly been watching him as he's been uh, seeing what, what Matthew was able to do during the postseason run. Do you believe that Keith Kachuk is deserving of getting into the Hall of Fame? And what is your favorite Keith Kachuk story, if you got one? Oh, man, this guy. I mean, honestly, I I, I look at his kids, and these guys were like, what, five years old? (laughs) He'd bring them to practice every day, and these guys would be bombing around the locker room with their ball hockey sticks. One of them, by the end of it, was crying. One of them was taking your toes off or your shins off. I mean, it was just, that's what it was about. It was about family for Keith Kachuk. And the the biggest thing for me wasn't on the ice. Yes, he was the ultimate performer. There was nobody that I hated to to play against more than Keith Kachuk because he could score, uh, but he could also beat the, beat the wheels off you. Right. (laughs) I mean, he could, he could play any way you wanted. You'd chirp him, you'd go after him uh, and he'd beat you in that category and he'd beat you on the scoreboard. This guy is one of the best power forwards this game has, has ever, ever seen. And, uh, there's no surprise. His, his two boys are as talented uh, as they are. That family in general, um, it, it's just a, a special group. But the biggest thing for Keith is what he taught me was how to take care of the trainers, how to take care of the people that took care of us as players. Um, you know, it, it didn't go unnoticed. I mean, I think every road trip, he'd give his meal money away to, to Stan Wilson, our, our, uh, our athletic trainer in, in Arizona, uh, Ray Barilli, all the, the trainers that we had in St. Louis, automatic this guy would take the trainers out every single road trip and i just you know i wish there was i wish that still continued i don't think i see it quite as much yeah but the stories we hear sounds like it happens with the kachuk boys whether it's in Mm -hmm. ottawa or now in florida and when matthew was in calgary tyson one more question non-hall of fame from your perspective because a part of the arizona coyotes they've been in the conversations of trade rumors this offseason your thoughts on potentially seeing the moves of clayton keller nick schmaltz and lawson kraus well, I mean, they're great players, and I think a lot of teams uh, around the National Hockey League are, are looking for, for great players, players that can put you uh, put you into that next category, right? Put you over the edge that will get you to that, that next level. And uh, Clayton Keller is so talented. He is, he is certainly coming to his own. Uh, came in as a young guy, and I think as a broadcaster and as a fan, sometimes you forget that, right? All, these, all those players that you just mentioned, you come in and you, you, just because they put the jersey on, uh, you can't have those expectations. I mean, Clayton Keller was an 18-year-old kid. He, he learned. He had some growing pains. But now you look at him as a 24-year-old and the steps that he has made. Lawson Krause, absolutely ridiculous. He's caught from that old-school cloth, a lot like a, a Keith Kachuk, power forward, can fight, and now has find, uh, finally found that, that scoring touch the last two seasons. I think he can hit 30 goals. Uh, he comes at a, at a real good ticket price as far as the salary goes. 
And Nick Schmaltz, uh, just another, you know, uber-talented player as well. Good speed. He's all about today's NHL. So no surprise, but I would be actually very surprised if the Coyotes actually gave up uh, any one of those three. That was my follow-up. Could you see a connection between the Blues and what they have in Arizona if they moved one of those three? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously you look at uh, everyone wants a power forward. Lawson Krause, I think every team in the league would uh, would want a guy like that. And Clayton Keller with the roots of St. Louis growing up there. Um, you know, that, that would be, uh, you know, a good fit, but we, again, I, I'm a broadcaster. I'm the biggest Saudi <laughs> fan you're going to get. I certainly do not want to see him go. He, he's a guy that, uh, as far as entertainment value, he puts you on the edge of your seat. Every time he hits the ice, what he did last year, coming back from that horrific injury, uh, he breaks his femur comes back and has a, a career year. Uh, absolutely incredible, and that's just a, a testimony to, to the player and the character that Clayton Keller has. That's great. Well, you always provided that entertainment as well. You were one of my favorites watching in St. Louis Tyson. Still are. Thank you so much for giving us some time today. Enjoy the off season, and we look forward to catching up again soon. Absolutely. Sounds good, boys. See you next year. See you, Tyson. It's Tyson Nash, former NHL forward, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. You ready to let the Clayton Keller dream die, buddy? No, well, now the dream has just shifted over to Lawson Krause. Oh, okay. That, I no, want we're a, shifting this. Thing. I want a six foot four uh, power forward who likes to fight and can score thirty goals. Yeah, neither of them are available. What are you talking about, man? Arizona's bad. Yeah, they are bad, and they don't seem to believe that they're bad. Oh, they okay. don't. They don't realize sure. how bad they are. Sure, because of the Blues offer up some juicy draft picks or maybe a juicy prospect, they're not going to move have on you from a guy. At how many draft picks they have? Absolutely, but why not more? That's their because mantra. They can't. They got a sign, you know, in Ted Lasso. Believe. Uh, Bill Armstrong above his office says, why not more draft picks? I don't believe that at all. I think that they are off limits. If you want to get excited about forwards that you could potentially go out there and acquire, go ahead and look up and down the you know Calgary who, Flames. You know who else was off limits? Line Nolan Arenado. Mr. 95% over here said it was going to happen. You know who else was off limits? Keep Restricted free agent Pavel Buchnevich also made it work. You know who else was, well, off, was limits? off limits? Martin Furk nailed all three of them. He was a free agent. He's so bad he's got to go play in Europe. Yeah, Whoa, that's, no, no, it's true. He, nobody wanted him, so he went to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. Coming up next, speaking of being bad at their jobs, oh. Rob Manfred is back in the news once again. Okay, nailed it. He's trying to overcome one of his greatest mistakes as a commissioner. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, buddy. This one's going to follow you forever, and it is the single biggest stain on your resume. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, Rob Manfred would like a do-over. No takey-backies, Rob Manfred. Not at this point in time. So he was talking to Time Magazine, because of course he was, about the Houston Astros scandal. And he said, quote, I'm not sure I would have approached it the way that I did with giving players immunity if I could go back and do it again. There was a follow-up question, of course, to that. He said, once we gave players immunity, it puts the MLB in a box as to what you're able to go uh, do in terms of punishment. Yet yeah, that is the definition of immunity there. I might have gone back about the investigation process without that grain of immunity if I could do it over again and see where that takes us. Starting with... I'm not going to punish anybody. Maybe not my decision 
that are my best decision ever. Again, that was Rob Manfred to Time Magazine when discussing the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal that ended up being one of the biggest blemishes that you'll ever see on a commissioner's resume. Alex, first of all, everybody knew this at the time. This is not a surprise to anybody. One of the biggest issues that Major League Baseball had back when all of this was taking place was that the first thing they did was our ability to get information will be determined by whether or not we give them immunity. That was not the case. There was an ironclad case against these players, against their claims, even without getting them on the record. Did it help to be able to talk to the players about what was going on? Sure it did. But The Athletic put out a very, very clear piece as to what was taking place inside of the Houston Astros clubhouse over that time. They could have received that information without granting this immunity. He's right. This is one of his worst decisions that he's made as a commissioner. But when you look back at the resumes, when you look back at the legacies for specific commissioners, there are certain things that will forever stick with you. When you look back at Roger Goodell, one of the things you cannot get away from is what happened with his handling of the Ray Rice case. Yep. That will forever be tied to Roger Goodell, and there's no way to eliminate that from his resume. The other one that came up, too, was Deflategate with him. The same thing is true for Rob Manfred. When you look back at his time as Major League Baseball's commissioner, whenever that ends up coming to an end, the two things that will come up as the biggest, in my opinion, issues for him will be this handling of the Astros scandal and the lockout. Those two things, you cannot get rid of them from your resume. They will forever be there. And yes, they are every bit as big of a mistake as he suggested in this piece with Time Magazine. Yeah, I, I, I this is the biggest blemish for that individual. And I mean, I, I would even go so far as to say when the lockout took place, that also gets on your record and it doesn't go away. 100%. I mean, we've seen this with Gary Bettman and Gary Bettman's been through, I think three of them as the commissioner. That's not ideal. And that, and that guy has done expansion after expansion, after expansion. He has continued to put more money in the pockets of the owners. Nobody gives a bleep other than the owners. Cause they're making money because of those lockouts. But this on top of the lockouts with, with the, uh, with commissioner Manfred, yeah, you don't come back from something like this because that, the whole time that that Astros thing took place, it felt like this was Manfred's opportunity to tell everybody, I'm a competent Major League Baseball commissioner because I can fill the shoes of Bud Selig, who I'm taking over for. And it didn't work for him. And it looked bad for him. And you're right. You don't come back from this. When you look at his ledger, right, the good and the bad, and th there is certainly quite a bit of bad, and it accumulated quickly under his watch in Major League Baseball. I, I will say, though, I think this year we've seen some of the good. The rule changes that they have implemented in Major League Baseball, not everybody feels this way, but for myself, I think baseball is a better product because of the rules that they've implemented into the game. Agreed. I think it's been overall a net positive, but there's a lot of bad on his resume. What do you think it would take for him to be looked back upon as a good commissioner for Major League Baseball, T-Bone? I, I think he's doing it right now in terms of what you just said, pace of play. And I think pace of the play is the biggest thing. And look, I'm not trying to look over the Houston Astros scandal because I thought he handled it poorly. I would have suspended a ton of those players for a major majority of the a big majority of the season. So I, I did think he handled that poorly. But I, I think pace of play, which is the number one thing he basically said the moment I take over, this is what I want to adjust. We've got to shorten games and we've got to keep a younger audience with their short shorter attention spans. I fall into that category. 
by making the game shorter. And he's doing that. And the pace of play rules have worked out very well. I like what they have done. I like the shortened games because of the pitch clock. I, I like bigger bases because we're seeing more stolen bases. Um, I, I do. I was against it. I do like the ban of the shift right now because it just looks as a cleaner product when you're looking at it Agreed. from a higher point of view. So, and not only with the rule changes, and he's going to bring in more, we'll see what happens with the automated strike zone and what they decide to do with that, but also... He he's fi- I don't know if you want to call it fix, and I hate to say this because I disagree with their decision in Oakland, but he's get he's solving one of the two major issues they had with two down franchises in, in their stadium situation, which is Oakland and Tampa Bay. Oakland is going to Las Vegas. We'll I don't see think what that's going to be viewed as a positive long term for what it's worth. I don't either. Oh, I, see, I I think it will because it's going to lead to expansion, and, and I think you had to solve that at some point. But whether it was a new stadium in Oakland or relocate them, I agree. So, but I don't. I don't think the way that that's been handled is a positive for baseball in any way, shape, or form. I think it's going to be looked back on the same way that the Rams situation was here in St. Louis. Fair, but I wonder how the Rams situation is viewed outside of St. Louis. Uh, similarly, I, I don't think with the same vitriol, like people outside of St. Louis don't care because they didn't have a they didn't have any personal investment into the matter the way that you did here in St. Louis. If you're listening to us right now. But outside of St. Louis, everybody understands that the Rams were relocated in a way that was like completely unfair to the city. Right now, I have no personal connection to the Oakland Athletics. We can all agree that what's taking place with that team right now is completely unfair to the city of Oakland. That they are basically removing them from that city because they want to. And Major League Baseball is just going along with it because they can write their own rules. They can decide when they do or do not move a team. So I, I think we'll look back on this and say that was that was probably looking back on it not the smart thing to do. And they went about it the wrong way, really more so than like the Las Vegas A's, whatever their team name becomes, very well could become a successful franchise. It will not cover up the fact that I think any team that was going to be there, whether it was expansion or a team that moved, was probably going to be successful. They should have made it work in Oakland. They should have at least given them an opportunity to be able to keep their team. Yeah, so I, I guess it's just we kind of view it differently. I, I don't. I'm not disagreeing with them handling it wrong, but I think they had to solve it at some point. So, and, and I think it lead. And it, the reason I look at it as more of a positive spin, I guess, is because it's going to lead to expansion. Was well, he said we got to settle these two? We'll see what happens in Tampa. They have to settle those two, and then they're going to get expansion. I think all I that's, that's going to lead. A good thing. Why, why is that considered to be such a great thing for a commissioner? Because ex- expanding, I think expansion is always great upon a commissioner. I think Bettman gets a ton of props for adding expansion. Now, he had three lockouts, which is hard to go back on, but I think expansion is great for any sport, and I think it's going to be the same for baseball. Um, I, because I think there's markets that are starving for it. Like Nashville, for example, is going to get a team, I, I would suspect. Expansions are good for baseball. It's just not when you take it from one place and, and move it to another. You, you mentioned the, lock, I don't look you at mentioned like, the lockout on Manfred Resume. I don't even know how much the lockout, like, yes, it was ugly. I'm not going to take that away from it. Kind of got overshadowed last year because of 700 home runs, and he played a full 162 <laughs> games. Well, no, but I'm saying in general. I mean, he played a full 162. It's not like he got a shortened season, so I'm not even sure how much of that lockout yeah, really is going to be put on his Gary thing. Beppen, and, and then mo- played a full season the next year, and it and still it was, was bad. Year. It was it was the the pandemic season. It was pandemic all year, that. yes. And again, that was one that is it just in the moment it was really bad. But he got a full season in. And in that full season, you had Judge at the L home run record. He had Pools hit 700 home runs. So, like, Man, those storylines I, I give him washed. zero credit for that. He, he deserved every bit of the blame that he should have received for what took But I think a national year. perspective, some of that gets washed because you forget about it because Maybe. the season was so good. And he, I mean, again, people it was, will remember that there was a It was a, a full season. <laughs> it was a, I don't remember. I mean, I don't even look at it as a negative. There wasn't really a – yes, they lost, what, a week? But they got 162 games in. Yeah. It, like, I don't really consider that, yes, there was a lockout – 
but it's not like an NHL lockout where they lost games. Yeah, well, let's give it time. We'll see what happens with the next CBA and everything. Oh, like he's, yeah. it, I, I, I absolutely view them as a blemish in terms of what took place over the last two seasons in Major League, or I guess three seasons in Major League Baseball. It's a blemish on his resume. I, I think overall he's been a bad commissioner for the sport. Like I, if you're looking at the ledger and you're saying what was good, what was bad, I think he's been a, a net negative for Major League Baseball. Just like I think like Roger Goodell, I think it's been a net negative for the NFL. I think that what you're looking at with Gary Bettman, I think it's fair to say, Alex, that he's been a net negative over the course of his entire tenure with the NHL. I mean, I would say so, but I believe there were some that look at this and say it's probably evened itself out because of what he's done in terms of the expansion of Vegas and Seattle and the money and the success that they've had and the popularity of the NHL. But that to me doesn't overshadow the three lockouts that he had in like 10, 15 years. So I would say it's a net negative, but I think he's the one commissioner maybe you could argue with the nba but he's the one commissioner that i I can hear actually some people argue that he's a positive rather than a negative and he's probably the one that if you're rob manford you're trying to emulate because his resume started with a whole lot more on the negative side of things than the positive and bettman didn't get the positive until about two three years ago and that's what you're hoping for if you end up being uh in the spot for major league baseball Manfred needs to create some more of that positivity. The rule changes, just like in hockey, could be something that helps that. Maybe it is the expansion where I don't view it that way, but maybe others do. Um, And that ends up being something that ends up being a positive for Major League Baseball as well. He could still get there. I just think it's going to take a whole hell of a lot, given how bad his his trajectory started as the commissioner for the sport. Uh, It's going to take a lot to get there. Uh, By the way, T-Bone, I'll give you one minute on this. One of the things that he does need to get fixed if he's going to get on the right side of the ledger here, it's a small thing, but it's a not nothing. This blocking the plate rule over the last two nights, we've seen two massive, massive storylines with it. The first took place between the Rangers and the White Sox, and it literally won the game for the White Sox. It lost that game for Texas. And if they end up losing a division or a spot seating wise by a game, you're going to look back on that and say, that was a bad one. The blocking the plate rule is broken in Major League Baseball right now. And I'm not even so sure that it's the rule. It's the interpretation by the umpires. It happened again last night with the Padres and the Giants, where it seemed very clear to everybody that was watching that they got the rule incorrect. What do you think they can do or should do in order to fix this? I, I think I think to your point, I think they've got the rule written correctly. I think they're just going to have to talk with umpires about how you interpret the rule because like the last two nights have not been blocking oh, the play. Crap. Goalie interference I, again. I, yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like right now. I mean, last night's play, like the rule says, like, hey, you if you're, I think if you're, I think it is, you can go into the path of the runner if you're going to the ball. Well, that's what. Gary Sanchez did last night for the Padres. He ran up the baseline to get the baseball because the throw was offline and then tagged the runner out. Well, that's not blocking the plate. That is trying to get the baseball. And I guess the way the umpires were interpreting of it was, well, if he stands a little bit over here to the side, he could still feel the ball and also apply a tag. I, I just think they're going to have to make sure that it's more clear with umpires in terms of, hey, this is how the rule should be interpreted. Because I think the writing of it is correct. I think to your point, though, for whatever reason, umpires have started to view this a lot differently than the way it is written and how the interpretation should be, and that's why I think they're getting these calls wrong. It is something that is going to need to be a major thing that is addressed once they get into the offseason this year. You better figure it out fast, because if it gets goalie interference, you're screwed and you're not getting out of it. Well, that's the problem is every sport has one of these, right? Mm -hmm. In the NFL, what's a catch? Nobody knows. In the NHL, what's goalie interference? Nobody seems to know. And in Major League Baseball right now, we're getting to that point. What is it when a catcher is interfering at home plate? Apparently, a couple of nights ago with the Rangers game, it was 
a catcher who is not in front of the plate. Yeah. He is at the back portion of the plate and applies the tag at the front of the plate. That was considered to be, quote unquote, blocking it because there was not, according to the umpire, at least a clear path into the plate. That and then was yesterday, more ridiculous. Yesterday, it was the catch takes him up the line, up the third baseline, and then he applies the tag. And because the throw took him up the line, he was, quote unquote, in the path. These are the kinds of things that as we get into the postseason or certainly as we get closer into the postseason chase, it will get more and more fan reaction because it will feel as if it is changing the outcome of games for teams that really matter right now. Hey, man, it's mid-June. There's probably a lot of people, baseball fans even, that saw nothing about this last night. (laughs) When you get into mid-September and you're getting into the pennant chases, that kind of thing, or you get into October and you have one of these that is implemented in the wrong way, that's when you start seeing the massive blowback from fans on what is a rule that needs to be changed as soon as possible. Again, I'm with you, T-Bone. I don't know if the rule is the problem. The interpretation of the rule seems to be broken right now. That's what you got to fix. There needs to be more common sense. Is what I would say. Huh. Because, like, those two plays, I mean, like, it's clear also, they're not blocking. I would veer on the side of it's not. Yeah. And if you do that, if, if your starting point is it's not blocking the plate, and then you eventually get to the place of, okay, there is clear and conclusive evidence that he was, that's how you end up in a place where you're kind of interpreting this better. It's the same thing I say with the goalie interference. You should always say it's not goalie interference unless it is a blatant push the goalie into the net. Yeah. And then you call it. And but the problem is you start so small by saying, oh, well, he looks like he nudged his skate, then it's goalie interference. And then you get into the place of like, okay, now everything's goalie yeah. interference. And now you can't back up when something's extreme compared to nothing. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. into the juncture. Alex, it's been a weird week for billionaires. So another story in the news yesterday, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. I don't know if you've seen anything about this. I saw this. The two high profile tech billionaires have agreed to fight each other in a cage match. Cage match. Alex, I don't think there's anybody that I would rather see fight less than Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. I have no interest whatsoever in seeing this. This is a pillow fight. This is the two of us agreeing to do something for charity here in St. Louis. Nobody needs to see that. Oh, my God. You just came up with a great idea. We need to do a charitable event where you and I go into a cage match. Why? Nobody wants to see that. I'd like to see it. I'm a nerdy four-eyed guy, and you're somebody that wears a girl dad hat to work every day. Like, what do you want from us? It's not going to go well. Now I really want to go into a cage match taking shots at my my girl dad hat. We took a total. We hit a total together combined of zero home runs in the home run derby. We don't got a whole lot of power in these fists of ours. Hey, text in to let us know if you want me and BK to go into a cage match. What would be the worst possible cage match that could take place at 101 ESPN? Because like Jackson. the best one is Carrie versus no. Jamie. That ends with like somebody maybe not coming out alive. Tanner versus Jackson. <laughs> no, ours would be good. Um, that is probably the worst though, right? Jackson versus Randy. That might be the worst. Randy's got blackout rage though. Yeah, yeah that's true. What about Tim? Tim versus Jackson is probably up there, honestly. 
Am I wrong? No, that's, that's, that's spot on, actually. And this is no shot against anybody. Like, I'm on this list. I'm definitely in the bottom five, for sure. You versus Tim would be near the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd want to see that. We look at each other like, are we really doing this? Yeah, Hell yeah, we're doing this. Do we, There's money involved. Do we need to do this? That would be Tim's yeah, motive. I was going to say, <laughs> I think that's how Tim gets himself motivated. I don't know what motivates BK to do this. You know, in uh, you know, in the office when they dress up in the sumo costume and trying to get the manager position, and Stanley goes blackout rage. That's what I could see Tim doing if money's involved. Like, Aah! I just, I'd like to see Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk fight, though. Really? Yeah, just to see who cries first. I just, I, I don't care. It does nothing hey for me. I don't need to see these billionaires fighting. Anytime people get into a fight, it's always worth stopping everyone. Somebody on the text line says, everyone wants to see the two of you fight in a cage match. Winner gets Rivers, loser takes on Carrie. Oh, Th- no, I'm, I'm, I'm not agreeing to that. Then both BK and I tap out and tie and walk out of that cage. If cause... winner gets Tim, loser gets one of Rivers or Carrie, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Then there's actually incentive to win because I don't want to die. Jamie or Carrie would snap me in half with their pinky. No, they they... They, oh, wait they break me by just looking at Was me. This, yeah. You win and you get to take on one Jamie, of them? No, and you, I, you lose and you have to take oh, on one I of them. You I, win, you well, get I, I was really slow in terms of figuring out what that text meant. I thought it meant like you get to work with one of them. It's like, man, oh, why are you guys so upset about working no, with one of these no, guys? No, I just, you, I've bo- worked with both of them. They're great gentlemen. Either of them look at you and it's like, okay, cool. My back's broken. I'm, yeah. I'm out, guys. Jamie came in here the other day because I didn't put his fan back in the right place. I haven't used his fan since. He like picked up BK and pinned him against the glasses. Yeah. Scary for BK. Sounds for about right. I'm going to disappear for paternity leave, and you guys are going to wonder where I'm at. And the truth is, paternity. it's not actually paternity leave. Jamie Rivers snapped me in half with his. He's not even having a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going into witness protection because of the a fan. nine month long con <laughs> to make sure that Jamie doesn't go to prison. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, everybody is looking for the next Matthew Kachuk in the NHL. Is he in this year's draft? One person seems to think so. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There are managers saying to their scouts, Go find me a Matthew Kachuk. Go find me someone that plays like a Kachuk. And if you look at everybody in the top 10, Ryan Leonard is closest to playing like a Kachuk. You mentioned beast in the gym, beast on the ice. Physical engages all of that. I really wonder if we're going to see the Matthew Kachuk effect and maybe see Ryan Leonard go higher than some people expect because of it. That was the 32 Thoughts podcast talking about the player that they believe could be the next Matthew Kachuk in the NHL. Alex, this is what everybody is looking for. Who is the guy that can come in and put up points, lead your team, and oh, by the way, if he's got to drop the gloves to fight, he's happy to do that. If it's not about fighting and that you get to the playoffs, you need to play a physical brand of hockey. Who's going to be able to step up when the games are tight like that? According to a lot of people that do such a thing that break down this draft, that player's name is Ryan Leonard. 
Alex, he is a really compelling player because he's not expected to go in the top five. Those guys are all Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith, maybe Mishkov. If you don't want to go that direction, a lot of guys like one of the defensemen to go in the top five as well. Ryan Leonard is more in that like six to ten type of a range, depending on who you ask on where he will go in this year's draft. He was compared by The Athletic to Arturi Lekkonen. So that, again, kind of goes back to this little bit of physicality to his game, can put up points. An NHL scout told The Athletic about Ryan Leonard, quote, he looks like a pro already. He has the fewest flaws of any player in this year's draft in terms of his skill sets. He could be better than Will Smith, who's considered to be a top four player in this year's draft when all is said and done. Another one uh, said he has so many different ways that he can impact a game. He can play fast. He's got a ton of skill. He scores big goals, and he's got that natural nastiness to him that you love he's the type of player that coaches will crave managers will think that's who you can go out there and win with Alex we've talked about a lot of different guys that the Blues could trade up for for you does Ryan Leonard belong on that list yeah he does and I just looked this up because on April 18th was when I tweeted this out saying that I'm here to officially state that if the Blues don't win the lottery Ryan Leonard is the guy because all the way back in April the draft and prospect analysts were saying like this guy is going to be an intriguing one because he's not the six foot four forward that you're like oh I got to get this guy or he's not the guy that's going to score 50 60 goals but what he is is he's the prototypical go to front of the net stand there and wait for the goals to come to him so that he can smack in the rebounds and if somebody tries to push him off the puck he's dropping the gloves think and I I thought this back before it was Matthew Kachuk you just hated playing against him so yeah Ryan Leonard would be a guy that if if he's available for you within reach where you're not selling off the farm, I would absolutely trade up. The hard part about this is, is you kind of know what one through five is going to look like because I believe Michkov is going to go somewhere in that one through five, and then Will Smith is there also. So then you get to the questions between six and ten. Does anybody fall into the Ryan Leonard category? I don't think Arizona does. Arizona's probably going to be looking either defenseman or skill the the team that I would be concerned about getting them before you is Philadelphia. And that's the seventh overall pick because and that's that, what the athletic has him going. They've got him going number seven. Overall. That matches the prototypical identity of who the Philadelphia Flyers are. And if they're going to trade away a Travis Konechny, we'll enter another younger forward who plays the exact same way. Who's projected highly. I don't think Washington takes them. I know. I don't think Detroit takes them. So if you can get past seven, Maybe Ryan Leonard is there for you. And really, that just comes down to would Philadelphia even answer the phone if you talked about trading up to that spot. But there's there's very few guys in this draft that I sit there and say, you know what, I would trade up for realistically, because I don't think you can move up for Fantilli or Carlson. I'm not sure I'm moving up for Michkov. And then after that, I'll wait and see what happens. But for all the hype of Ryan Leonard, man, would you love to have a winger who can be a power forward and somebody who projects to be like a Matthew Kachuk for the next five to ten years? So that's one player that is on Alex Ferrario's wish list. That is a drafted player that Alex would like to add to the St. Louis Blues. You also have some guys that if they were to trade their first-round picks, they went out there and found the guy that's in that 25- to 28-year-old age range that uh, Doug Armstrong has been describing got some players that maybe you've got your eye on for that criteria as well. You know, our darn tootin' BK. And you know what, Tanner? When Doug Armstrong was talking yesterday about the the criteria they were looking for. You're like, we need a T-Bone 3. There was only one thing that came to mind. Well, two things. T-Bone 3 sucks. Hit the Ferrario 5. T-Bone hit the open! 
You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. Like so, right. Ferrario, give us your top five. Stop it, the music's playing. Don't trade up. <laughs> Don't trade up, probably not. All right, so I'm in no particular order with this. It's just five names that popped up. I don't have one bear better than the other, and I'm not inserting Ross Colton's name into this. Put him in order. Huh? Put him in order. Well, it's hard because, like, they're all unrealistic. Alex? Okay, fine. We'll go in order with this one then. Number five on this list, Martin H. is from the Carolina Hurricanes. If you remember correctly, his name was brought up last offseason, potentially with the Blues of trading Tarasenko to Carolina, and Nate just comes back. I thought at the time, why the hell would you go get this guy? He wasn't that good of a player. Then this year, he goes off. Restricted free agent. Carolina has been outspoken about wanting something different because the last couple of years have been disappointing for them. If they were talking about trading Martin Natchez last year, then they might consider trading Martin Natchez this year. For what? That's the hard part, because I'm not sure. Now, you might do a Jordan Cairo in this spot and some people might say well that doesn't make you better no but it offers up some cap space and it does give you somebody who is legit a top six forward also by the way he's a centerman that's why he's number five on this list though because I'm not sure what Carolina would be interested in that you have on this roster go ahead oh my god he's already shooting stuff down all right number four on this list set over to the Anaheim Ducks Troy Terry now, this guy scored 35 goals two years ago, 27 goals this past year. has been 70-something points in the last couple of seasons. You might be thinking to yourself, Alex, why the hell would Anaheim want to trade this guy? I put him at four because I do believe it's unrealistic, but I wonder what Anaheim's plans are. Because this kid's an R- RFA, he's 25 years old, and they're not planning on competing anytime soon. So do you lock him up for five years and you carry him until you're 30, and then maybe you know when he's 30, you start to compete? Or do you flip him for somebody younger that projects to be the same player as Troy Terry? Troy Terry is a winger. He's big, power forward, and he's got some skill off of the rush. So if Anna, and then again, this is just calling Anaheim and finding out what their plan is because in RFA, they got plenty of money to spend, but could you get Troy Terry away from them if he doesn't fall into the plans that they think they're going to go with? Did you pull up stats on him? Because you went silent there for a minute on me. He's interesting to me. I guess my question would be, what are you giving up in order to get this guy as well? And, and that's where I came up with. And do they want to flip him for somebody younger who projects more into their window of when they expect to compete? So you're talking prospects and Bull picks Duke, in this scenario. Snuggerud, something like that. Do you flip? You're getting him? certainty. You're yes. giving them upside. You're getting okay. you're getting five years of Troy Terry to compete for somebody that might not be here for two to three more years. So okay. that's the only thought process I have with it. But damn, is he intriguing with this one? Number three on this list. We brought I like up that his, one. Thank you. We brought up this name in the past. This is more realistic, but I just don't know if people are in on this. It's Brock Besser with Vancouver. Nah. I understand nah. Nah. But it came down to that. Pretend like this is Ross Colton and just go ahead and we can continue from there. It it depends (laughs) because I went to Vancouver and it's either Brock Besser or Connor Garland. The only Eh. problem with Connor Garland is he's 27 and he's got two years left. That's out of the range that Doug was talking about. You've got two years left of Brock Besser, but he's 26 years old. So that means in that range that Doug's talking about, two years and then you re-sign him, you have a little bit more consistency. Plus, he's something you don't have in size. Tell me on Besser. 
Because I'm probably being uh, unfair to him. Sell, you, sell me on Besser. Two, three years ago, before his dad had passed away and before he had the off-ice issues in terms of just not being in it with Vancouver, and especially with the dumpster fire that Vancouver's been, go look at his goal production. He's a 30-goal scorer. He's a power forward. He, once again, is a guy that goes to the front of the net. He's also a guy that has a really quick shot and takes time and space away. So for 26 years old, you want Travis Konechny, who's 25 and smaller than Brock Besser. But he's cheaper. By a million dollars. One and a half. You know what one and a half million dollars is? Sammy Blay. Yeah, I like Sammy Blay. Okay, well, you're probably not going to have Sammy Blay after this season because if he plays well. Look, I, again, it's not the sexiest name out there. Yeah, but I've been I've been too hard. Six one, two ten. He's got a little bit of physicality to his game. Like I, mean, I can see how you can convince 2019, yourself. Look at that 2019-2020 season and what he did, especially in that postseason. The guy was good, and I just think it's gotten bad in Vancouver to where he wants out. Change the scenery could put you right back in the right, All right. spot. All right, if you're not on that one, I'm going to take you to. If I can another, get rid of one of my bad contracts because Vancouver is going into a rebuild, maybe which you might you be able to, and that's another three-way three, three way deal that you can make. Sure. I'm going to go over to the Buffalo Sabres. And I didn't... Thompson? No, not Tate Thompson. Uh, I, didn't I don't want, want him. I didn't want to oh. bring them up because I didn't know how it worked, but now in, in Friedman and Merrick's podcast, they talked about how Buffalo really wants defensemen. They want some veteran defensemen so that they don't have to put a lot of minutes on power and Darlene. Alex is trading Colton Pareko. No, not trading Colton Pareko. I'm thinking of two other veterans that play on the left side. But I'm trading him for a kid named Casey Middlestat. Now he's six foot one. He's a centerman. This past year was his best season. But I'm trading for this player because he's 24 years old. He makes $2.5 million this year. And then he's a restricted free agent. So this is five years of control in Doug Armstrong's eyes to take him through 29. And in Buffalo's mind, they're not going to have cap space when he becomes a free agent RFA if he continues to play well. Enter the St. Louis Blues. If you can flip a defenseman, maybe two defensemen for a guy like this, because Buffalo knows they're good on offense. They need help defensively. Casey Middlestack could be a winger slash centerman for you in your top six. And he could provide some of the speed and size that you want. So what are you giving up in this scenario? In this scenario, I thought maybe Nick Letty would make sense for a Buffalo Sabres team. And maybe you wouldn't be so quick to say no in a no trade clause because Buffalo is up and coming. Sure. And maybe you also throw in a Scott Perunovich here for them, too, because you get a little bit of a younger offense. You're going to need more. But maybe I, I, that's where the draft pick comes into play. This one's interesting. And mind you, the draft pick compensation I'm talking about here is like you're going to give up. I mean, what we've talked about giving up one of these first round picks this year for NHL ready players. This might be it for the St. Louis Blues. Okay. Number one on this list, we've talked about them, but I think we went away because we thought it wasn't going to happen, and then there were other names that got more intriguing. Is Uyghur? Nope, nope, nope. I'm not no. getting that old, Grandpa. We don't need him on this team. No, I'm going back to the New York Rangers, and I'm saying one of three names. <laughs> Panarin. No, not Panarin. Not Kreider either. Don't bring him God. up, BK. Jeez. Dang it, man. <laughs> no, it's it's three guys off of that kid line. Oh, Philip, RIP to that dream. He's a geriatric. <laughs> Philip, Philip uh, Cheadle, uh, Capo Caco, or Alexis <laughs> from the New York Rangers. One of those three, I believe, is going to be moved this offseason. It's not going to be Cheadle. I would put How him. How would you rank them? In likely in terms or of I interest for the Blues. Cheeto would be number one, Lafreniere number two, and Kako three because Cheeto's a centerman and he's got skill and he's 23 now let's years rank old. rank them a different way. How would you rank them in terms of likelihood of being traded? Kako, Lafreniere, Cheeto. Okay. But listening to Peter Laviolette talk the other day, 
It doesn't sound like he's on board with the idea of having a kid line with this team. Laviolette's all about experience. He's all about winning now. That tells me they're going to want Patrick Kane or Tarasenko back, and they move one of these guys. If it's me, I'm calling up about Lafreniere and Kako and saying, what do you want for one of these guys? Lafreniere is so interesting to me, man. Dude, I, I think some people might overlook Kako, too. He's a winger. He plays well. He's got a really good shot. He's got speed. He's also 22 years old. He's got one year at 2.1, and then he's an RFA. I love either of the two because both play well. Lafreniere, I think, is going to be better, but uh, but keep an eye on one of those two New York Rangers. That's why they're number one on my list because I do believe one of those guys is getting moved this offseason. Kako's got some size as well. Yeah. So that's something worth keeping in mind. All right, that's your list. Number one, the Rangers. Not a player, just the team. We're trading for the Rangers. We're pick, getting the Rangers. They're the giving up the guys Blues. You want. Uh, right. Number two, Middlestad. Number three, Besser. Number four, Troy Terry. And number five, Nietzsche. I like that list, Alex. Some some conversations yep. that we haven't had so far as well, uh, which I think is important because there are probably going to be names that emerge over the course of the next six days that we haven't discussed previously because that's the way that it works this time of the year. Look at the NBA draft, right? Today, you saw there was a report from a national insider that, hey, he's never heard this many players available compared to previous years at an NBA draft. I think there's a reason for that. In the NBA, they just signed a new CBA that is changing the way that teams are going to have to operate. In the NHL, it's not about the CBA. It's about the cap. There's a crunch that is taking place right now. And so teams are going to have to remove salaries from their books that normally they wouldn't even think about. But now, because of how much things are tightening for a lot of these teams, especially contenders, there is going to be some conversations about guys that otherwise would not be available. And Blues could end up being a beneficiary of one of those moves. Coming up next, it's T-Bone's favorite segment of the week, believe it or not, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're so good they asked for us to be on Broadway next week, didn't they? Yeah, Nashville Broadway, not New York Broadway. I'm taking the mic from Bettman going, hold on, this is my stage. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Never thought I could feel so free. damn good alex really went for this week in a way get, that i haven't seen him go that far into it, it in a while you gotta get that gobbler working so i don't know if i'm allowed to say this or not but i'll ask for forgiveness later instead of permission now we're gonna have cameras that are officially working here in the next like couple of weeks yeah right on the right espn now. yeah right now we'll See be you. live on youtube oh, you'll be able to watch us throughout the course of your uh your midday whether it's your lunch break or you're at work whatever it hey, is go hit Just that go subscribe button i promise Absolutely. we're gonna have tank top tuesdays here on bk and ferrario i'll think about something like that maybe tube top thursdays oh get <laughs> some tube tops at home do you Monday, Friday, Frisky Fridays. Ooh, shirtless no Fridays lingerie. is what it sounds like. No, that's shirtless Saturdays, and that's on the weekends. No, I won't you know what? Here. Let's put a YouTube. Let's put a live stream up at all of our houses on the weekend. Work it Wednesdays. Oh, <laughs> work it. Let me work it. I don't know the rest of the words in that song. <laughs> it's you yours to precipitate. No, 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 no. Be careful. <laughs> You're gonna have a Joey Vitale moment on here. <laughs> Rubber band, man. Wow. Oh. <laughs> you want to continue that joke? Nope. <laughs> 
If you missed that, uh, it's from, you know, earlier this season. Listen to the show more. All right, Alex, let's play a game of Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, one of Travis Konechny or Alex DeBrinkett will be a blue by this time next week. I'm not going to believe this one. I, I, I look at it, I believe the way Doug Armstrong was looking at it and saying these two guys don't match what we're trying to accomplish right now. We already have a lot of those guys. DeBrinkett is essentially what Cairo is, and I think Travis Konechny is what you're hoping a Jimmy Snuggerud can be or maybe what you have already in a guy like Sammy Blay or Casperi yeah, Kapanen. I... I'm going to say not believe this one. I think it's going to be somebody that we haven't talked enough about. Unless you listen to the Ferrario 5, which you just missed. Check it out on the podcast page afterwards, 101ESPN.com. Thanks, Tops. Tire and Auto Centers. Cha-ching. I'm, I'm going to believe this. I, I think this is the kind of move Armory is going to make. I, I think he likes these kind of smaller statue guys, and he wants to just become a very offensive-minded team for at least this year in this kind of transition. What he does after that, I'm not 100% sure. But I, I think one of these guys makes sense for the Blues. I, I think this is kind of how Doug Armstrong pictures building this team. So I, I'm going to believe it. I think he's going to add one of them, and I think it's going to happen while we're in Nashville next week. I think Go so, on. too. Uh, whether I like it or not, that's a different question. I, I think this is likely the route that they end up going. And I think it's because of what we said earlier today, Alex. I think they're going to view 2023 as a we're in transition. We think we're really like, could we win this year? Maybe. Maybe they break through and the Western Conference kind of crumbles around them. Winnipeg starting to take a step back. Like you could see the path for the Blues to be this year what like Minnesota was two years ago, right? Where you, you're a year ahead of schedule. But I think they're really building for two years from now. And in that scenario, Kapanen and Verona are probably not on your roster. And the quote unquote small guys are now really just one of these two that you trade for and connect near to Brinkett and Kairou. I think that's the way they're going to My only concern with that is, I mean, you're talking about $8 million, maybe $7 million for Debrinkit and Konechny's at five, five, five for the next two years, and then you got to re-up him. It seems like if you're doing that, you're going to be choosing one of these guys over Pavel Buchnevich, because I don't know what Buchnevich is going to get in terms of contract extension. That's why I think if you're looking at players that Doug's going to acquire, it's going to be guys that have less amount of AAV in the first few seasons, and then it goes up. I think Konechny is the one that makes the most sense. Maybe. Um, let's let's stick on this conversation because actually a texter just brought this one up. They said, guys, I heard it. Uh, Mike Rupp on uh, Sirius XM NHL Radio said that he believes the Blues could get in on this Pierre-Luc Dubois conversation for two late first-round picks. About expensive. And Scott Perunovich, believe it or not, they pull off a trade for a, a Pierre-Luc Dubois from Winnipeg. I'm not believing it. I don't think they can get in on that. I don't think that they can afford that. He's going to be expensive, man. Like, big, I mean, he's going to be what? Expensive. He's going to be a million what, bucks. He's going to be what you're going to pay Alex to bring it. Uh, I think he'll be more expensive, don't you? I don't believe so. I mean, Alex to bring it. The reason Ottawa's getting rid of him is one, he didn't perform, but two, he's an RFA again, where he's going to be commanding some serious money. Yeah. What do you think to bring it gets? I think you could see something like Debrinket. I mean, he's had back-to-back 60 seasons. I would say probably something along the lines of Braden Shen. Six and a half? Six and a half, seven. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to get eight plus. He last year made six. I think he's going to be expecting like an eight-by-eight kind of contract. I think it depends on where he goes. Especially as a centerman. He's been on bad teams. He's been on Columbus. He's been on Winnipeg. Teams that haven't been able to compete in the postseason. If he goes somewhere where he believes that there's a plan in place, that's typically when guys are willing to lower the AAV for more years to compete. It's an interesting concept. I mean, I was skeptical on this specifically because it's Winnipeg, but... 
if that's the type of player that's available and he's a centerman, you might pounce on that opportunity. Yeah. The Athletic put together uh, the comparisons for him, and they said 8.5. 8.5? AAV, yeah. I I think if he... It just it really depends on where he goes, but man, eight. Eight eight five sounds about right, but again, I think you're going to be paying. I wouldn't Al- give him that. I think you're going to be paying Alex to bring it that too. I would not do that either. That's why I think Konechny makes so much sense. He's got five and a half million dollars on his contract each of the next couple of seasons. I I think Konechny is the most likely landing spot for uh, for Doug Armstrong. And, and I'm not going to believe it too because if you make that move, and I I expect I could be wrong. We'll see what happens next year. But then because of what we're just talking about, the salary he's going to get, you basically are punting on re-signing Pavel Buchnevich. Well, and this guy's also apparently a problem with locker rooms. That's oh, well, the other reason that I in. don't know if I want that deal here. T-bone. Come on, man. The locker oh. room got better. T-bone. Oh, yeah, did it? Yeah, they uh, had Logan Brown. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, the St. Louis Cardinals, they will acquire somebody that has more control beyond the season at the trade deadline. Believe it. I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to do this year what they did with Jordan Montgomery last year, but to a greater degree. I think they're going to find a pitcher that they believe can help them for the rest of this season and for next year and hopefully beyond. They, they have to, honestly. I, I think it's their best chance to be able to go out and get that guy that really changes what their rotation is. So isn't I'm going to believe this. Isn't that Shane Bieber? He's got one more year left, He's right? one of them. Uh, Dylan Cease fits into this criteria. There, there's a few of them that could end up being available, but... I'm actually not going to believe this one because I think what they're going to do is they're going to sign some dude who's a free agent who's older that gives them innings and just say, like, ah, this is what we needed, and then say they're going to do it in the offseason and then not follow up on their word. So I'm going to say not believe this one. I don't see it happening. I kind of lean towards not believe it, though. I I, I tend to agree with BK. That's probably how they should go about it. But I can see where they just look at look at it and go, man, that's, that's a lot to give up right now for a team that's not competing right now this year. And we'll just figure this out in the off season. So I, I lean towards not going to believe it. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what they decide to do here. I, as I'm looking, so I'm going to go down the list of names. We'll go through these really quickly. These are the 27 starters that um, Jim Bowden has on his trade list right now. So most of these guys will not be moved, but these are guys that he's just even keeping an eye on, right? Show so he's number one. Yes, he, he is on that list. Shane Bieber, we've talked yeah. ad nauseum about him. Corbin Burns, not an option for you. They're not going to trade him in the division. Yeah. Lower level trade, maybe. You could end up getting like a you know Quintana like we saw last year. But a stud, that's eh, not happening. Carlos Carrasco, he stinks. <laughs> Dylan Cease, yes. fits into the criteria. Stinks. Mike Clevenger, eh. no. no. Alex Cobb, God, interesting. No. Get the but the Giants aren't selling. Patrick Corbin. Mm. <laughs> Anthony Can I get Juan De- Soto with him? <laughs> Too late. Oh. Anthony DeSclafani. Not no, selling. Not an option. Jack Flaherty's here. Kyle Freeland. Eh. Lucas Giolito. Sure. I'd take him. But, but he helps he's not, you. He's not the ace you're looking for. Sonny Gray. I'd take him. No. He's free agent at the end of the year, though. You're going to have to yeah. resign him. Zach Rinke. Eh. Rich Hill. Eh. Mike Lorenzen. Eh. Jordan Lyles. He sucks. He hasn't won any of his games so <laughs> far this see- year. Like 0 and 15 yeah. in his last 15 starts with Kansas City. It's the longest stretch to start a season without a win in yeah. MLB history. His team hates him. There was a story yesterday from Sports Illustrated on the historic nature of how bad the Royals pitching develop has been. P- pitching development, rather. Alex, their best pitcher that they have developed in the last 15 years is Danny Duffy. <laughs> Do you know how bad that is? That's sad. Danny Duffy was bad. I, I mean, Danny Duffy was an He's okay fine. starter, but he was like Michael Walker. 
Yeah. I don't think anybody's saying like, yeah, you're great system here, what Cardinals. You developed Michael Walker. Well, they did. Nice starter. They nice developed starter. him. He was like the fourth best starter they've developed in the last 15 years. Yeah, but did you see 2013? Yeah. Uh, Lance Lynn's on this Pretty list. This That's year. fine. Uh, Aaron Nola, he's not getting traded. Shohei, not coming here. Eduardo Whoa. Rodriguez, that ain't going to happen. Uh, JP Sears, who? Mm-hmm. A's pitcher. Oh, that's Doesn't not a real count. person. Max Scherzer, he's not getting traded. Drew Smiley, not coming here. Marcus Stroman, Boy, free agent. Justin Verlander, free agent. Ne- Trevor Williams. Eh. Trevor Williams looked great yesterday. <laughs> yeah, he did. This is the problem. Now. Can I get Trevor Williams and Mike Myers? That'd be great. The reason why I bring this up. Man, if you get sick of us talking about Dylan Cease and Shane Bieber, there's a reason. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> Those are the guys. Hey, real quick, can I throw another one in here? Sure. This is uh this is coming out now that apparently New Jersey is hot on uh, Connor Hellebuck. Believe it or not, if the Devils how, how do they well, have money? So, this, so believe if they trade for Connor Hellebuck, you find a way to trade for Timo Meyer sure. and lock him up. What are we doing? Just somebody, one of the one fan tweeted this They're out. They're the Rams. Like I don't understand where this money's coming from. <laughs> they said Dougie Hamilton nine million dollars, Luke Hughes or uh, Jack Hughes eight million, seven two seven eight six eight five maybe for Meyer. They said they'll have sixty million dollars tied up in nine players with an eighty three and a half salary cap. They said that's impossible to make it work. But New Jersey apparently needs goaltending. Well, yeah. So we're gonna go pay ten million dollars for Hellebuck? Well, you're not paying. He's already paid it. He's not making ten million dollars. Making like what six and a half, seven? No, I think he's getting it. Like, isn't it nine? I mean, I it should be. He's he's one of the best goalies this. in the game. But man, if that happens, uh, I'll go get Timo Meyer. Car, uh, the uh, Blues were interested in him already. He's six point one this year, but he'll be like nine or ten next year. Okay, Timo Meyer gonna be a blue. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Nah. I believe it. Not coming up next. What is the Cardinals plan with Yvonne Herrera? What are they doing with this? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Guys, the Cardinals updated their list of their taxi squad for their trip over to London yesterday. They're going to be bringing Yvonne Herrera, oh. Jojo Romero, oh. and James Nail along with them. Mm. Now, let's start with the obvious. That tells you everything you need to know about the Cardinals' lack of bullpen depth right now, and it's something they've got to address at the trade deadline. Jojo Romero is your top lefty option that is not currently here. James Nail is your top right-handed option that is not currently here. Uh, that's not good enough. You, you got to go ahead and upgrade that. When we get to the trade deadline, if the Cardinals are in it, that's something we're going to be talking a lot about. They have to add one, maybe even two more bullpen pieces. Let's set that aside for a second. The guy that I find more interesting is catching prospect Yvonne Herrera. We saw him very, very briefly last year. He had 11 games, hit 111. They basically made it known to everybody that would listen. We didn't feel like he was prepared for this. Mm. He was not ready to be a big league catcher yet. Common issue, apparently, on Cardinal catchers. Man, one after the other. This year, he's having a breakout season in AAA, Alex. Yvonne Herrera is 23 years old. He's batting 291 with an OPS of 960. He's doing that as a catcher with 19 doubles and seven home runs in his first 47 games down in AAA this season. He is making good on his top 100 prospect billing in Major League Baseball. He's also blocked. The Cardinals signed Wilson Contreras this past offseason to be their catcher of the present and their catcher of the future. 
I would imagine there's pretty decent value for a guy like Yvonne Herrera on the trade market if you're a team that is in need of a catcher either for the now or for the future. Alex, what is the plan for the Cardinals with Herrera in your mind? Is he trade bait? Is he somebody that you look at as the future number two behind Wilson Contreras? Is he still the catcher of the future? How do you view his future here in St. Louis? I mean, he has to be trade bait because he's not going to be the starting catcher anytime soon unless the Cardinals truly believe that Wilson Contreras is just going to be a DH within a year, which I don't believe. And the other side of it is he can't be an Andrew Kisner role because he's not viewed as a defensive catcher. It's all about offense with Yvonne Herrera. So he's got to be trade bait. And frankly, it's a good piece of trade bait for the Cardinals. If you've got this guy hitting as well as he is, I mean, Carson Kelly was a part of that trade package that got you Paul Goldschmidt. And it was because of the offense that he provided. Now, I know he did it at the major league level a little bit more than what Yvonne Herrera Briefly. has. But still, if you're hitting like this at AAA, he becomes a interesting trade commodity, especially for a team that is trying to just get pieces that can help their major league roster. I, I truly look at Yvonne Herrera as not being a Cardinal after the trade deadline. Am I crazy? I think Yvonne Herrera would be a better trade chip than what Carson Kelly was. He was a better hitter in the minors, Yvonne Herrera has been, than what Carson Kelly has been so far. Now, defensively, I I don't watch Memphis on a night-to-night basis, so I can't tell you how he compares to what Kelly was. But I remember watching Kelly when he was here in St. Louis. I didn't feel like he was like this otherworldly defensive player behind the plate by any stretch. So as long as Herrera is at least adequate in that regard, I would think he's got Basically the same, if not more value as a trade chip than Just, what Kelly had. I don't know how many games Kelly played at major league level. I would imagine that's Prior it. Prior to his departure, yeah. it was about 60 games over so, the course of three seasons. 2016, 17, and 18, he had 10, 35, and then 20 just, major league games an, and was a 150 hitter while he was here in St. Louis. He was terrible. That just comes to the idea of do you want him as a all around every game catcher or are you bringing him in as offense kind of like Toronto does with their two catchers because if you're just bringing him in for the offense then I do believe he's better than Carson Kelly but it just depends on how a team views it because Carson Kelly had at least more major league experience yeah and and I think the Cardinals kind of hurt the value a little bit last year by saying oh we don't think his game calling's ready yet because I, I think that immediately set off red flags of oh he can't be that great then behind home plate as a defensive catcher and that could be totally false now he could be really great behind the plate again it's tough to know because we're not in Memphis we're not watching a lot of Memphis baseball so but I I do think he's a trade candidate for the Cardinals trade bait he should probably be like number one on their pieces that they're willing to say hey we're willing to center a package around Yvonne Herrera and then we'll insert other pieces into that package because I I don't think he has a future here in St. Louis. I I think Andrew Kisner is a perfectly fine backup catcher. He clearly has a good connection with the pitching staff and every now and then he gets through little hot spurts where he can you can play him a lot if you wanted to if if Contreras was down for example. Defensively he's fine and with Yvonne Herrera if he's not playing every day, I just don't know how much his bat is much in terms of value to you on on a team because you're not going to pinch hit with your backup catcher. Just not what baseball teams do. So, and to Alex's point, I mean, you saw it with Kelly, you saw it with Kisner, like they can hit in the minor leagues, but when they lose that playing time where they're playing every day, the bat doesn't translate up to the major league level. They got to be playing every day. And with that not being an opportunity for Herrera, I think he absolutely should be trade bait. I'm totally fine with the Cardinals just sticking with Kisner as the backup catcher for years to come. Yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at as well. I also just don't want you to lose any more value here. Like just cash it in. 
There are certain times. I mean, I think the Padres do this really well and sometimes maybe to even too great of a degree. When your prospect has what you believe to be the peak potential of what he's going to be as a prospect, trade him. Trade him then. Especially if you don't believe in their long-term outlook. It's almost like selling stocks, right? I'm not exactly like, don't listen to me for advice on what you should do with your financials. I would be the worst person in the world to give you that advice. However, like from what I understand from other smarter people that talk about this stuff, hey man, if you see something coming that you get worried about and, you, and you've made already a pretty good amount of money on this stock, man, sell it. Sell it then before it starts to go down. That is what prospects are to organizations. Go ahead and cash in what you have already earned. You developed Yvonne Herrera. You've got somebody that's blocking him at that position in the major league level. Go ahead and get the pitcher that you need for him. If you had the opposite, right? You had this stud pitching prospect that's coming through your system doing exactly what Yvonne Herrera is doing right now. Well, then we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. He would be in your rotation today or he would be getting prepared to be in your rotation by the end of the season. The position is what really hurts you. Herrera is at a spot where his best case scenario is starting one out of every three games over the next three to four seasons here in St. Louis. That's not all that valuable of a piece for you. So instead, find something that is. Go ahead and find something that can start for you on a regular basis. Maybe that means you flip him for an outfielder that you think can be an everyday center fielder for you. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. Maybe you end up packaging him with uh, Lars Newport or Brendan Donovan or somebody that has real value on your major league roster as well, and that's how you get your starting pitcher. Cleveland, for example, you think they could use a legitimate hitting catcher right now? I would say so. There's going to be teams around the league that value something like this. I will be very curious to see if this is the year that the Cardinals finally cash in that chip because it's a pretty big one for them at the trade deadline. We'll hit the rewind coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I'm going to put out a full disclosure here. We don't know if what we're about to say is true. <laughs> this is full speculation. Welcome to Sports Talk so Radio. I want to put that out on the front end. So keep this in mind as we're about to discuss something with the St. Louis Blues and what they could do this offseason. Alex, you said you saw somebody tweet something out about what Doug Armstrong may or may not have offered for a specific player that may or may not be available. Boy, welcome to NHL offseason, ladies and gentlemen. But this is Flyers Nation on Twitter, but they're citing Frank Saravalli on the Daily Faceoff podcast that they just did today. Frank Saravalli, according to this tweet, stated that Daniel Pierre has already turned down a haul for Scott Lawton from the Philadelphia Flyers. Apparently, Frank Saravalli has stated that Doug Armstrong offered a 25th or 29th overall pick and a future second round pick for Scott Lawton of the Philadelphia Flyers. He's going to be 29 this upcoming season. He's a centerman. He's got three more years at $3 million per year. And Lawton played for Armstrong 
uh, at the Worlds earlier this past month. So here you go. I'm told the Flyers have been engaged with the Blues, among other teams, on Scott Lawton. I know the Blues put on the table one pick of either 25 or 29 and a second-round pick. I was told that it was a first plus a second for Lawton. That is according to Frank Saravalli on the Daily Faceoff rundown earlier today. I would not do that, personally. Um, that being said, I'm not going to be a fraud and pretend as if I've been watching a whole lot of Scott Lawton over the last few years. His numbers look fine. He's a really solid, like, middle six center that can score probably 10 to 15 goals per year. Honestly, Alex, he looks like older Ross Colton in terms of what he's done. Yeah. The big thing that is advantageous for the Blues with him is Scott Lawton is on a very reasonably priced deal. And that is where I do think, like, if you're the Blues and you know I'm not going to be able to move any of these contracts defensively this year, I could see how you talk yourself into somebody like a Scott Lawton, who's got a little bit of size, got a little bit of grit to him, probably fits in with your middle six forwards. That makes sense. But he's 29 years old, so he is on the older side of what they're potentially looking for here. And I don't think he is a significant upgrade in a way that you couldn't find if you wanted to go to, like, an Oscar Sunquist, for example, and just get somebody's on the cheap, that is younger, and you can go get him on the free agent market without having to include a first or a second round pick. So that is that is my pushback against this. I'm also legitimately shocked Philly would decline that offer. Me too. And I, I mean, first off, I, I hope this isn't the direction that Doug's looking. Maybe this was just a, hey, let's see if we can get this. But man, I don't get it. Why not pay that for Ross Colton? And I know everybody, Ross Colton's not a top nine forward. Neither is Scott. Like Scott Lawton is a perfectly fine third line center. Ross Colton last year scored 22 goals. Scott Lawton has never scored 22 goals. You know what also Ross Colton did? He's produced 10 goals and 9 assists in 52 playoff games, which means he's played in the playoffs a lot, and he's 26 years old. You could trade that for an RFA in Ross Colton who's 26 years old, probably lock him up to a four-year deal worth three mil per year, and you've got a younger player. Now, everything I've read says that Scott Lawton has a hell of a compete, and if he played for Doug Armstrong at the Worlds, obviously Doug saw that in person, which he liked something about it. But, man. Maybe he changes the room. Maybe that's something that Doug Armstrong is placing more emphasis on than what we're thinking about right now. But you're getting a disgruntled player who's been playing with John Tortorella for the last five years. And maybe that means that you're getting the best out of him, right? Like, this is the other thing that we have to keep in mind. When Ryan O'Reilly came over, he was also a disgruntled player. I'm not telling you Scott Lawton is Ryan O'Reilly. Nobody is Ryan O'Reilly. However, Ryan O'Reilly came over, and it was like a second lease on life. And you could see, oh, he has regained the love for hockey that he lost while he was in Buffalo because of all the losing, because of the culture inside of that uh, locker room. The same thing could very well be true for some of these guys that are coming over from Philadelphia. Maybe, Alex, we don't know what the full con- or the full conversation was here. Maybe this became something that was a part of a bigger deal. Maybe the Blues were trying to get Lawton and Konechny in one deal to completely overhaul what their middle six looks like forward-wise. We don't know. We don't know what the conversations were. It could have been something where Doug said, hey, what are you guys looking for if you were to trade Lawton? And the Flyers said, you know, we'd we'd probably need more than a first rounder and a second round pick for him. And Doug said, you know what? This is not an offer, but if we had like 29 in a second, would that be something that you're looking for? And they said that probably wouldn't be enough for us. And then maybe Doug said no. Cool. Glad we had this conversation. I want to canvas the league to find out what is out there available to us right now. I, 
if you're going to have any satisfaction from that, it's that the deal didn't get made and the Blues are looking at this as only trading one of their first-round picks in a future to get an NHL-established player. I mean, looking at it, Scott Lawton does not play more than 15, 16 minutes a night. So the point production is understandable when you're not playing much on a Philadelphia Flyers team that's just been awful. So maybe you get more ice time, maybe you're a little bit more of a successful player. But if Philly turned that down... I don't want them to turn around and say, we'll give you both of our first round picks for this player because both of your first round picks could get you something of significance. And maybe I'm just overlooking the Scott Lawton. Maybe the compete is absolutely what you need. Maybe you're right. Locker room changes things. But boy, I really thought it was going to be something bigger than that. And maybe that's just the start. I think the biggest thing for me that's surprising is the age. Uh, This is a guy that's 29 years old. He does have three years of term left, which is helpful, but. I guess maybe there's a sliding skill there more than what we were previously Might be the expecting. maturity side of it, though, yep. because Doug has talked a lot about how the team has to get more mature. Hey, the Cardinals are out in London right now. They had they went over there last night after the game against Washington, and now the Cardinals are in London. There's a watch party on Saturday at Patios to be able to watch that game. With the opening drive, the Redbirds are out there, and you're going to be watching them with Randy Carricker, Brooke Grimsley, and Kerry Davis all at Patios this weekend. Proceeds will help to support the big league impact if you want to see more details you can go to 101 espn.com because i certainly butchered that read and right now we have a chance for you to get a four pack of tickets to next tuesday night's budweiser bash this is your reward for listening to me read that last liner the cardinals versus the astros taking each other on on tuesday next week's budweiser bash features a limited edition mark witten bobblehead if you are a texture number 101 at 314 399-9646. And you can tell us, what should we go with today? What was our junk shore story today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who were the two people that are getting into Nailed it. <laughs> the two names, the people that are getting into a uh, cage fight? If you know the answer to that question, your texture number 101, you are getting the four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser bash for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll try to get some more information on what's going on with Scott Lott and what he would mean for the blues. We'll do that before the show tomorrow. The fast lane's coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.